pointing my gun at you, John boy. You got three seconds to open this door. You're not going to shoot anyone, James. One. Two. If there were any bullets in that gun, why would you hold a knife to my throat? It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps, talking Season 3, Episode 19, The Brig, and I'm The Wig, joined here by Mike Bloom! Wow, how about that? My name is Mike Bloom, too. <laughs> My name is The Wig, too. Yeah, I'm also The Wig. <laughs> I am also As, well, The Wig. I don't know, if you're looking at Josh Holloway's hair this episode, you might be saying that he is also The Wig, too. No, come on. He looks great. I think he just, maybe Kate could have should have given him a little bit of that season two as haircut, but what an episode for James oh, Ford. What an episode for John Locke. Gosh. What an episode, Josh. I mean, we, we have been touting this for weeks for months, arguably for years, about this extremely impressive streak of episodes barreling down to the end of season three. And I'll admit, I was a little nervous going into to the rewatch being Is like, it okay, overhyped. Did, yeah, like, did, did I hype? Did we hype it up too much? And at least the beginning of this streak is incredible so far. I, I was just talking offline before we came on here that obviously I'm always pumped beyond belief to come on and talk about this with you, Josh. This is one of the first episodes in a while where, like, it finished, and there was so much kinetic energy behind basically every single second of this episode that I'm like, I, I need to talk about this right now. Um, I, I I felt the same exact way. I was just like brimming uh, with excitement as soon as I finished up. It, it totally lived up to that 4.2 billing. No surprise for me. It's going to be a perfect 4.2 for the brig. I assume it's the same for you, Mike. Yippers. Um, and, and it just, it absolutely hit that hype. And if anything, like it, it got higher. Like I, I, I'm obviously so hyped on Lost because we're doing this each and every week and it's been so much fun. Um, and like, it's one of those things where a year and a half into like talking about Lost each and every week, Mike, I haven't like lost any enthusiasm for it. Um, if anything, like we are just like gaining momentum now as the show itself and the storyline is gaining momentum. And I, I know it's just like, this is hyperbolic and I don't actually mean it. It's just like what I felt. When I was done watching The Brig, my feeling watching The Brig this week at the end of it was like, man, we just watched the best episode of Lost. And mm. I know that I know that that's not true, <laughs> but 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 I do think it it is it is such a good episode of the show. It is a perfect episode of the show for me, um, and I think it does something incredibly meaningful um, and, and and both like primal and obvious but also subtle in many ways specifically with the Sawyer character but also with John Locke it is such a satisfying ending to up to this point one of the longest running um, mysteries and character details about both of these men Um, and I know that there is literally the question of like is this too obvious is it too obvious that Anthony Cooper is Sawyer's dad is it too obvious that when Locke is saying I've got Ben that it's obviously Anthony Cooper 
you know, we have this question from uh, from from Dow and Sarah, who says, "What? Why is Anthony Cooper being the, the real Sawyer? Um, uh, uh, a twist versus being just predictable?" Um, Dow and Sarah also wrote in and said, "Is the show trying to trick us into thinking Ben could be the real Sawyer after Locke tells Sawyer that he'll kill Ben after he hears what he has to say, or is it? Uh, or are we supposed to believe that?" Um, and like for for me. None of that really matters so mm-hmm. much because like it like there there are so many ways to to read this episode when you when you know what John Locke is actually planning uh, that he that he doesn't have Ben in the brig he's got Anthony Cooper in the brig the interactions between John and Sawyer are so meaningful both in terms of um, themselves individually but I actually think importantly really uh meaningful for their continued relationship on the show and Mm. i mean that both in terms of the relationship between sawyer and Locke, but also the relationship between sawyer and a Locke figure um i think that this is an important episode for a lot of what ends up happening with james ford specifically on this show and that was not a take that i came into this with uh necessarily so i was excited to get kind of like a new take watching the brig I'm so exhilarated by the performances in this one. I love this episode so, so, so much. I think we're going to have a really thematically rich episode of Lost to talk about here today, and it's going to be a blast. This episode, true to it being a Locke episode and the central man himself, is very special in a number of ways. First off, I'd be hard-pressed, at least in this moment, to think of an episode that's not like a big episode like a finale that advanced... Not one, but two major character storylines so prominently in one singular installment. This is a gigantic episode for both the John Locke arc and the James Ford arc, right? These are both facing their past demons and exercising them. Granted, that demon happens to be the same man, evidently. But when we talk about the arcs of these characters... These are seminal moments for both of them, and I would be pressed to think of another episode, at least ones that have come before us, where it has been like equally massively important to two characters at once. Usually, obviously, the the brunt of the character who's getting the flashback episode is going to be the one that has the big piece moving forward type yeah. of storylines to it. And there's also some, some argument there as well, I know, amongst uh, the, the listeners, the hatchlings of, okay, this is a Locke episode. But Should this have s- been a Sawyer episode? But I, I mean, think uh, is a, a constant look, look at every man for himself, and I well, don't think the, they were <laughs> building out the Sawyer stuff that much. Well, you know? there, there's that, Mike, um, but another another thing that... And, and I, I feel like there have been moments where I have... Moments where I have felt that way, too, where I have felt like um, this is such a big deal for Sawyer that shouldn't this be a Sawyer flashback? And uh, I don't know that I've ever felt more strongly in opposition to that position uh, than I do right now, that I think it is absolutely the right choice to center this on John Locke, to not give Sawyer a flashback, because I think the we know the stakes of Sawyer at this point. Exactly. Um, and I think that one of the magic tricks of this episode, and why this is such a pivotal moment in Sawyer's evolution as a character, is think about who Sawyer has been recently. Sawyer's mm-hmm. been the dude who drank beers with the, with the gang and drove the van in the woods. Sawyer's the guy who played uh, Inspector Clouseau with the gang during Not Exposé. Russo, who's handling her own box of dynamite. Sawyer's the one who lost the ping pong competition. Sawyer's the one who almost got voted out at tribal council and has been anointed leader. Sawyer has found love. Sawyer's in a relationship. Um, Sawyer is getting to like play casual ping pong with Jack. 
this is um, Sawyer has had some moments on the island already that he has greatly enjoyed, but that has been typically at the expense of other people. This is Sawyer has been part of the crew. Sawyer yeah. is not just part of the crew. He's a leader within the crew. He's well loved in the group right now. It's like back to where he was um, at the start of season two, except like he's he's like. I don't know if he's thinking about it a lot, whether he, like, deserves this or not. Right. Um, he's, but, he's not actively, like, yelling at people like he was when he came back with the tailies of, like, people people shouldn't be treating me like this. And and I think in sort of a similar way that, like, I have talked about how, uh, like, if there's value in Stranger in a Strange Land, it's, it's, like, helping to reinforce the idea that Jack could be in such a dire way uh, for the... the for through the looking glass that you could believe that that happened in the past. I think the fact that we haven't had a flashback from Sawyer for as long as we've had probably helps deceive the casuals. You know, the people mm-hmm. who weren't doing like the mega theorizing and hadn't connected yet. Oh shit. Locke is Locke's dad is the original Sawyer. Yeah, that's that, that's be- an interesting point as well. I would love to hear from hatchlings because obviously people are, have come onto the show in different regards, but I would yeah. love to hear if you, did you know, did, right. if, especially if you were not vociferously looking at each and everything like the rest of us were doing at the time, did you put the mental math together in your own head that Anthony Cooper was the OG Sawyer before this episode? Right. So I would, I would, love to know because i'm sure that there are tons of you know we t- we're talking about this show all these years later so we're the diehards still right like we're still right. very into it um but there there are also people who still listen to this podcast even um but certainly at the time of the show weren't like going on on message boards weren't doing the theorizing with their friends didn't piece together that uh Locke's dad was probably sawyer um maybe didn't put it together and again i still don't think it really matters that much the fact that you're walking into this episode and you haven't thought a lot about Sawyer's grudge that you haven't thought a lot about this engine that was humming in Sawyer's life for so long because Sawyer's not thinking about it right now either. Sawyer's thinking about how good life is. Sawyer's enjoying life right now in a fairly authentic way. He just gave pork to, you know, the pregnant lady, you know, like, he, you know, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which is bad. not euphemistic, just to be clear. <laughs> it is not euphemistic. <laughs> he literally did it. He gave her a plate of pig, you know, like there's, there's, you know, he, he's been having a good time and people are accepting him and he doesn't have to think too hard about it about it he's able to like have a relationship with kate and still be able to play table tennis with jack like he's he's having a great time and then this comes back and he gets sideswiped and he gets his vengeance but it does not look at all like he fantasized yeah uh it's well, I mean, what, he, what, he, what he fantasized was him gunning down frank duckett you know that was that was sort of like his big action movie with, way the, of getting with, the ep- with the epic letter read with everything and it goes so wrong he's so unprepared for it it goes terribly it makes him literally sick um and i think that this is a pivotal moment for this character's transformation and for it to happen at a time where he is at his best, yep. that he gets sucked back into the abyss. Um, and I think that this is like, this is a moment and why I say it's really powerful for the relationship between Sawyer and at least a Locke type is that Locke brings Sawyer back into the abyss here, uh, thinking that like it's going to be good for James. And I think ultimately, in a way, it ends up being good for James because this is like a dry, this is like a dry run towards like how do you react in the face of the abyss? Because Sawyer is going to be here again when Juliet is dead. Sawyer is going to be here again in that final season when he is going to be groomed to be part of the bad guy squad, and he is going to be at that point like having gone through everything else that he goes 
goes through knowing like, no, this shit's rotten and I got to figure out a way to save some of these people here and get myself out of here too because I don't deserve to be just like brought down all the way to the bottom. So I think this is, and, and that's with him and the man in black. So a, a lock tight. I just think there's, there's so much here for this to happen now. It sideswipes not just the audience that this is in a Sawyer flashback because I think that telegraphs it to a degree, mm-hmm. but it also sideswipes Sawyer and that is so much more important. Um, I think the way in which this broad swipes Sawyer uh, is it, it's, it, it, it really um, translates to us in that performance, in those two scenes, right? Like on um, both sides of the commercial break of, uh, of, of James and Anthony Cooper together. Um, I think it's so rich. It doesn't need to be a Sawyer flashback episode because so much history is already imbued in the present. It's spectacular. I could, I could, I could wax poetic about it for hours. And, and we thankfully will. we will. Yeah. Well, and, and so on that respect though, I do think this is an extremely important lock episode, especially looking ahead to who Locke is going to be. Because uh, I know we've seen some comments of like, oh, I don't, Ali, I was not into the flashbacks as I remember, but I feel like it's actually a, almost in the vein of expose, a really well done mystery where I do think, you know, we'll get into it later, but the way they open with him, with Locke reading this mysterious file and tossing it by the fire while dad Save in a box. Save your breath. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's, that's a fun little media res moment to be like, how the hell did we get here? But looking ahead to who John Locke is going to be with regards to Ben Linus, with regards to Richard Alpert, with regards to the others, this is also a seminal moment for this guy because this shows how we're going to kind of have a bit of a lock problem, as Jack said in Exodus, for season four. And I do feel like while we talked about how further instructions was a bit how John Locke got his groove back, this is where he sort of like found his conviction and his journey again because this was something for him too. Specifically the idea that he was able to not necessarily con Sawyer, but lead someone into doing something as, you know, just immoral as murder. And maybe justify murder from a certain perspective, but I feel like that paves the way for stuff that John Locke is going to do, maybe in season four, but definitely in a man who's going to inhabit John Locke's body coming down the line. I feel like this is a huge setup for what this character can be capable of, and particularly how he might serve as that sort of foil to Benjamin Linus, who essentially, you know... Richard Alpert paints it as he essentially got Locke out here to sort of prove to the others how this guy that everyone thinks is special is really not at all. He's, you know, he's castigated. uh, He's neutered. And Locke is saying, like, no, 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 I've got balls. uh, I'm just not going to be the one to do it. But don't worry, I'm going to take the credit for it. It's it's a huge, huge episode for this character. I will also mention... I I would also just interject to say that, like, I actually, and maybe I hadn't thought this way before, but I certainly feel it now that Locke absolutely kills Anthony. Anthony Cooper. Um, he doesn't stab him. He doesn't shoot him. Um, but he he unleashes a weapon on Anthony Cooper. He murders this guy. He yeah. his murder weapon is a man, and his name is James Ford. Yeah, well, and I wonder as well if that's sort of the development of Locke's character. We'll talk about obviously his inability to be the one to wield the knife himself. But he's sort of again. In the form of a, you know, with the guy that's going to become John Locke later on, he'll find a loophole of, well, I know I cannot do this, but I know what I can do from that perspective. Something interesting that I... It's like the show grooming us to be ready for that. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's really fascinating in the the long run. Something else that I found, you know, one of the other reasons why this episode has always been so magnetic and huge electromagnetic perhaps is that this apparently is one of only two lost episodes to not introduce any 
new characters. Whether it be in Flashback or a rando on the island, these are all characters that we know that we have seen in some capacity before, and that's only one out of two episodes out of 100-plus in this entire show. And that says something, because one of the other reasons why, even at the time, I adored the crap out of the brig is because this is an episode josh that was two plus years in the making ever since we heard that letter read by kate in confidence man we knew what sawyer's eventual mission was going to be and to your point he said he did sort of like abdicate it during outlaws where you could tell he was still focused on that and he decided to to let it go in favor of a lot of stuff but this is really the culmination of this character's entire arc so far. And to your point, we have seen other sides of Sawyer, but it really has all come back to this thing, this central conflict that has literally made him the man that he was. And it is so exciting to watch him shed that skin in the you know most guttural, brutal way possible. Because I came through this episode, Josh, afterwards being like, what is going to happen to Sawyer next? Is he going to go back to the murderer that he was? Or is he, much like Locke seems to be, using this as an opportunity to shed his cocoon, right. spread those wings, and fly somewhere else? I think one of the things that this episode kicks us off on, and something that we can talk about um, as far as it relates to other characters and as it relates to Sawyer, uh, is this, this um, you know, the idea that, like, once the bad man is gone, everything will be okay, right? right. You know, the, sort of that trope of, like, once the boogeyman is dead, I'll be free. Uh, you know, once this one thing changes, my life is going to be perfect from now on and that is never the case there are demons everywhere it doesn't matter if you kill king demon that doesn't stop the rest of the demons and you have to continue living your life prepared for that stuff you have to pivot when when the moment occurs all of that uh is is baked into the to the beautiful but tragic condition of being a human being and i think that this is um you know that that is very much at the heart of this show it's very much at the heart of the the idea of the flashbacks for these people and kind of investigating um you know what does that mean for each person like for saeed right it's going to be like everything is going to be better the second i find nadia well, maybe, maybe not. For Desmond, everything is going to be better the second that I reunite with Penny. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Or, or even Jack. Everything is. I, he spends an entire season. I'm going to get everyone off this island. Yes. And when he does, he comes to regret it. And so I think that we're we're getting that really uh, we're getting that really in a big way, uh, you know maybe not for the first time ever, but we're getting that in a big you know like a, an early version of this is is Boone releasing himself from Shannon right, mm-hmm. um, but you know now we're we're shedding Sawyer of the crux of Sawyer uh, and like who are you now? How are you going to deal with adversity after the major adversary is dead after you've defeated it? Um, was that a victory? Is it worse than you thought? Who does that turn you into? Um, and that is such a big question at the, you know, this is, this is a show about all of these lost people, not just like physically lost on an island, but also <laughs> lost within their own lives. And you think that if you just find the one thing, then you're going to be saved and everything's going to be okay. Well, maybe not. Maybe not necessarily. And I think to start getting into that question through Sawyer through this episode, um, it's going to make that character really exciting. I think a lot of that gets, in, uh, you know, is, is going to be like what's fueling him for the, for the rest of his time on the show. He's a different character from this moment forward. It's mm-hmm. activated him in a really, really important and profound way. Um, and it's just, it's so, it's so good. It's just, it, this, this, this title card absolutely lived up to the billing for me here yeah. with, with the brig. Plus, and on, on top Benson. of all this, we get rid of freaking Anthony Cooper, who's the worst. He is, but he's also, um, uh, Kevin Ty is so 
good. Oh, uh, so fun, face punchingly fantastic. In you this know, this episode. man's gonna get every single LVP point available today. Uh, no yeah. question about it. <laughs> but it's, but it's, I'm so excited to dress down this character as well because we also need to look at his psychology in that if he does legitimately believe that he has died and gone to hell and is quote unquote like coming to face mm-hmm. with his sins, the regard or lack thereof in which he faces this idea of an afterlife is a fantastic and yes. fascinating character dissemination that's going to end up being you know his last moments of life yes and so powerful in the face of the theme of life and death and i'm not talking about the music i'm <laughs> talking about the idea that is so central to lost and the fact that that is so front of mind in the conversation in this episode right like forget the we were dead the whole time they were dead the whole time it was was purgatory all along uh like screw all of that um i think i think if anything like i think the undercurrent of like um it's almost like you know living in the age of alternative realities Mm. uh that like saeed and everybody when saeed tells hurley at one point when hurley's like what about what she said about the fact that they found our our plane and it was filled with (laughs) b-o-d-y-s and saeed says like one problem at a time yeah exactly you know this idea of like second guessing yourself and like am i alive is any of this real um i think that like brimming underneath the surface of these active conversations that um that cooper is having with Sawyer, a little hot for heaven, uh, all of that, um, and coming from a man who is not the devil, but is definitely a demon, and mm-hmm. uh, on his trip to hell, it's like, this was the man who lived his life that way. This is the man who, like, when he says, like, I don't believe in hell, I don't, I don't care, and then you get there, and the way that he's acting is like, well, I guess it makes sense. Exactly. You know? It's, 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 it's like not this the, idea of throwing yourself, being like, oh, yeah. forgive me, I can't believe I did. He's like, yep. I'm fine with the home that I made, and here I will stay. Uh, I drank a lot of whiskey, I made a lot of money, and here I am, and I guess that makes sense. Like, to, to have that character and have that be such, like, an exaggerated bad guy version of where Sawyer could have gone in his life, I think is spectacular. Um, this is also not to say how this is, like, the big Richard Alpert breakout episode. Yeah. Uh, that there, I think, is a lot to talk about with Richard Alpert and his relationship with John Locke and that and, one and, scene that we're going to get with them on the hill. And, prospectively, his relationship with Ben as well, even though they don't share scenes. I yep. think what Richard does here is a huge yes. marker about, you know, how Jacob in particular views Ben in this moment that will culminate obviously in the uh you know what, I don't what do you know mean about, about how Jacob feels about Ben, but certainly how Richard feels about about Ben. I think you know Jacob's whole attitude is like, Yeah, well you know, thanks for keeping me informed. Uh, and uh, just keep me posted on how it's still going and let's just see how it plays out. Like he's he seems like somebody who has less of an opinion and Richard Alpert being the emissary definitely has opinions exactly Uh, and like i think his opinion is really showing in this episode i totally agree on that point but let's also talk about how this is a big episode for benjamin linus and let's also talk about how this is a big episode for john locke and benjamin linus and then let's also talk about how next week is going to continue all the stuff that you're getting in the flashback here so i love that this flashback is a john locke flashback that's filling in the details and especially coming off of the man from tallahassee as well like that was a giant yes ben and locke episode and this is just continuing that plot into like you said the one-two punch it's a trilogy yeah or like one-two shot i suppose of of this and next episode of really these two combatants just 
fiercely yes. butting heads against each other and one getting one over on the other one. You know, the, it's it's weird that we did take a break in between, uh, you know, installments one and two, but especially going back to the events right after The Man from Tallahassee, you really it's get like to how, see... Uh, it's how, like, Back to the Futures parts two and three were, like, a year apart, right? Right, so, so then it's so, like, should, should they have recast, yeah. like, uh, Tom Friendly then? <laughs> yeah, Eric Stoltz is John Locke. Uh, and, like, I, I think, like, Tallahassee to the brig to the man behind the curtain, you know, literally having it be the man from Tallahassee through the man behind the curtain. We are in, um, within this, you know, this arc that we've been hyping for a long time, uh, that we're in the best stretch of episodes that Lost ever has. Um, you know, maybe not the best episodes of Lost, but definitely the best stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, 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 it's no coincidence that it, it, we go from the man from Tallahassee to the brig to the man behind the curtain. It's this the, is an it's act the, the as well. trilogy. <laughs> It's the man trilogy, the man show. Uh, oh, no. and, and, and I, and I think it's, I think it's brilliant. We're going to be able to like bounce these themes on into next week, Mike. There, this is going to be not just, you know, banner episodes for the show, but I think that this is going to be some of the most fun that we've had on the podcast as evidenced by the fact that we're like, we're like a half hour in. We haven't started the thing. <gasps> no. Um, you know, this is, there's just so much here and I've been so eager to talk about it. And, uh, ever since I stopped, uh, the episode, I'm so happy that we're here. I, mm-hmm. I hope that you're all strapped in for a ride because clearly this one's going to be a long one. Um, with that said, how about we take a minute to, to tell you that support, <laughs> support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch Free. And don't worry, Pluto TV is not conning you like any Anthony Cooper type. This is the no. real deal. No kidneys necessary here. No, well, you know, no kidneys necessary. But if you got them, keep them. Um, all right, let's drop into the jungle. Let's go forth into the jungle to talk about the brig, uh, the seventh ever John Locke flashback. Another thing I'll say about the fact that this is all on island, uh, as written by Lindelof and Cuse, Mike, um, is that is this the first time other than maternity leave and expose I mean I guess expose's already done this um but I think one of the things that I that I like about this being an all island flashback for Locke is because we're talking about how this is a turning point episode for Sawyer. Clearly, it's a turning point episode for Locke as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to get, um, uh, gosh, what's it called? Cabin Fever next right. season. And then that's, and that's going to be the very next John Locke flash. It's interesting thinking about, like, we're yeah. really on the back half of John Locke flashback episodes after we we're, they- we're in the, we're in the home stretch for John Locke's, like, active participation on the show. Yeah. Um, you know, like, we're actually, we're, we're, we're closer to that than you think because season four is shorter mm-hmm. uh, because next week is, you know, the last we see of Locke until two scenes in the finale uh, of season three. Uh, and then you've got a shorter season four. And then season five, he's, you know, the, the life and death of Jeremy Bentham happens halfway through. Yeah, and so technically we see Locke a lot in season five, but it depends on what it's you not mean him. by Locke. You know, it's not him at a certain point. Um, so we're, we're closing in on that. 
that stuff. Uh, so it's it's really important for for that. And I think this idea of like John Locke is special. You are meant for something. Um, the fact that he's getting an episode like this. Uh, where we're getting to like fill in the gaps of his journey and that like his, you know, this is going to be an episode where anything that happened to him in his life before all of this for John Locke, at least, and you really get the sense of it by the very end of the episode when he's literally putting his dead, his father's dead weight on his back, Locke literally carrying his family on his back. You know, the man who broke his back now dead on his unbroken back um, and walking forward that you get the sense that for Locke in this moment in time, Everything that ever happened to him before no longer matters. Yep. So I think for this episode to be an episode that's very present, that is only dealing with the very recent past in terms of what we are visually seeing, is a really, really excellent and intelligent story structure choice. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, we'll get to it several weeks from now. It almost kind of weakens, in hindsight, the cabin fever of it all. Because I'll be honest, if this was the final John Locke, quote-unquote, flashback proper I would be happy because uh, we finished off with with man from Tallahassee, right? We finally found out how he got in the wheelchair. And if if our flashbacks with John Locke ended with that proper, you're right. The symbolism is there of him shedding that person he was before he was on the island. And so we don't need to see that anymore. That man is dead. That man is done now this new John Locke has survived, and yes, there have been facets of him that have been here on the island so far, looking at you throwing a knife to interrupt a meeting in Walkabout, but th- this truly does feel like a new pep in his step. And so maybe uh, I'll put a pin in this for when we get to you know that episode several, several, several weeks down the line, but it does make me think if that was a necessary thing. That's my line. Um, all right, so the episode begins with Locke by the fire with the Sawyer dossier as a man in a burlap sack is stirring. Uh, Locke tells him, save your breath. Uh, Nobody can hear you. And then he burns the folder. And so that's not a flashback. That's the start of the episode. So we are beginning there. That's where John John Locke is right now. You know, John Locke is by a fire somewhere in the woods reading this thing. Uh, And and I, I love that. I love that sort of like um, that mystery structure that mm-hmm. permeates this episode because, yeah, now we do slam back to the moment where John Locke sees Anthony Cooper for the first time in Man from Tallahassee. We continue that momentum, uh, and it continues with a big bite out of John Locke's hand uh, as, as Anthony Cooper is going to – the first thing he, – he's not going to do any talking. He's all, all – all, he's both bark and bite this <laughs> Exactly. And, well, and Ben does warn him like, hey – uh, you probably don't shouldn't. take the gag off. He'll bite. He bites, and he's like, "I don't know about that. I know this guy better than you do." And indeed, Anthony Cooper does bite. Yeah. Uh, and you know, again, Anthony let's rem- Cooper bites, man. He really does. Yeah, exactly. But the power with which Ben holds over Locke. Again, we can sort of talk about you know the the choice to have a significant break of time between Man from Tallahassee and this. But at least this scene does rush us back to not only the context of that moment, but the context of that power dynamic. Because again, yes. this was Ben who got Locke to blow up the sub on his behalf. Ben is the one that holds all the power here. He had just had Locke tied up in the storeroom, remember, when he said, oh, just to show you the biggest flex that I could have, here's here's your dad. I know everything about you, and I have all these resources at my fingertips, or at least I appear to be. That prompts us right back in that, in the thick of it all, in terms of the status of Ben, you know, despite being sitting, he is towering over John Locke at this point of like, yep, I brought the meal, the real McCoy to you, you know, teeth and all. And by the way, we're going someplace else. And 
Yeah, I mean, you could come with if you want to. I didn't exactly right. invite you, but I guess you could be a plus one. But I, but I also think that you know, to the to the point that is going to be delivered later of um, is uh, is Ben jealous of John, which I think is definitely a hundred percent. I mean, that's what I think. Locke, as we talked about in the man from Tallahassee, I think Locke did sort of hit a nerve when yes. he and Ben were talking about how you know. Uh, Locke garnered a lot of attention for being the guy who was paralyzed and can suddenly walk, whereas Ben is becoming yes. quite the opposite. He's a rock star. He's a lock star. <laughs> and uh, Ben is Ben. And like Ben has power. Uh, ben is Ben is not an episode of Lost. Uh, ben, <laughs> Maybe ben for has, season seven. <laughs> yeah. He has power, right? Like he's a very powerful person. And uh, I think this is another episode in which like you know that argument that i that i made in stranger in a strange land in the podcast was like i know it's unsavory but benjamin linus is a is a bad dude uh and like the public shaming and the potential public execution that could have happened for juliet and like the public trial like is it is within character of this guy and see no further proof than the fact that like in front of children uh and everyone was all right with this mm-hmm. or at least was like subservient to it because he's the dictator and he's in charge ben was going to have john Locke slit the throat of a man tied to a totem pole Despite, you know potentially and this is the same guy who with the same straight face tells someone we're not murderers yeah exactly he's a liar he's a bad guy you know this shouldn't be uh controversial this can be a very very great character and also be an awful person and yep. he's an awful guy uh you know he's an awful guy who's got a very sad story as we will come to learn but he is an awful person who has done awful things will continue to do awful things and will maybe try with like his final uh you know ounces of energy in his life will try to do better but will still never be able to feel at least comfortable walking through those church doors uh that's who we're dealing with when we're dealing with benjamin linus and i think to that idea of like where, where he is with cooper here uh and Locke. It's like, we didn't bring him here, John. This is all you. You mm-hmm. tell me how he got here. Hey, we're going to some, we're going somewhere new, actually, somewhere very old. Do you want to come with us? Like, he's setting Locke up. He's imbuing Locke with this idea. He's always had Locke's number, and he continues to have Locke's number until Locke's dying day because he knows Locke's turnkey. This idea that I'm here for a reason and I am special. And he leans into that. Um, and he's doing that here as well. I think very much with the idea that, like, He's hoping that Locke is going to fail, and he's at the very least, if he, at the very least, he's going to try and set this guy up for failure. I think everything that he does here in this moment of like, we're going to this uh, this very old place. Would you like to come with us? Uh, is all in service of like him eventually trying to like publicly pants John oh, Locke completely. And the thing that I love about it as well is because if Ben has a specialization in his you know duplicity. I think it's the illusion of free will, which is a big thing. illusions, Michael. Exactly, it's just a thing that uh, that whores do for money or candy, yes. but or yes. Dharma or uh, fish bars. But I, yeah, this <laughs> right. uh, this idea that. He, to your point, he is trying to create this idea to John Locke of like, I didn't bring Anthony Cooper to the island, you did. And to your point, he's doing that to put John Locke up on this pedestal of like, look at how special you are. Look at these choices you are making that are all completely correct. So then when this moment does happen, he can then pull down John Locke's pants, not literally, but then say, hey, look, everybody, remember the man that you touted as this god of the island? He turns out not to be whatsoever. He's just a doddering old fool who worked at a box company. You know, he really is setting him up for a fall in that regard. And, and Ben does this all the time, even with someone like Juliet. You know, we, we experienced as recent as a few episodes ago how they kept promising her, like, oh, yeah, you can go in your own regard, you can do this, you can do that, but that is absolutely never the case. And I think a reason how Ben is able to keep people under the thumb is he's able to use that idea of the illusion of free will 
in so many ways, whether it's like Juliet of keeping them, you know, uh, giving them the, the carrot almost, even though that it's always out of arm's reach, or in John Locke, it's setting them up to say, look at all these choices you're making. Uh, actually, they all really suck. Uh, this is why you're not the person that you think you are. Yeah, and also think that, like, this is how, like, uh, Ben believes that, like, people are going to, like, get off the John Locke train. It's like, look, he didn't publicly murder this guy. Where's like, your messiah how, now? Yeah, this is how he relates to human beings. Let's not <laughs> let's not forget that. Uh, let's also, uh, you know, he says to Locke, we're holding Kate a few buildings over from here if you want to say goodbye. Didn't Locke say he stumped pretty hard for Kate? <laughs> yeah, doesn't so, seem like he did. This is Locke, I think, trying to save face. Like, I think Locke was like, oh, you know, I should have said something. Well, she doesn't need to know that. Because he otherwise yeah. <laughs> would have been like, well, wait a minute. And, and Ben's like... John, though you do realize that she killed her stepfather, right? And he's yeah, like, oh, I mean, okay. There's, yeah, there's probably like. I don't a, know, he's a, like, oh, great idea. Let me put that in my memory banks for later. Yeah, a slightly deleted scene uh, that didn't that didn't make the cut. Uh, and also, I, great another fantastic uh, hypocrisy, as you mentioned again. Ben saying, uh, you know, we're not murderers. Does that thing, but then according to Locke, also turns down Kate's resume, quote unquote, because she murdered her stepfather. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. So later that night, or we go back to the present anyway, uh, back on the island, back at the beach. Speaking of Kate, she wants to go back to her own tent. She's with Sawyer. And this is uh, uh, I didn't realize this until I looked back on my notes. Josh, I don't know if this is purposeful or not. This is a callback to orientation. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but in very one of the very first nights that Helen and Locke spent together, Helen caught Locke sneaking yes. off, and he said, "I can't sleep if I'm not in my own bed." Yeah. Uh, so again, it's it's a even though Locke's not involved in this scene, he has very much his fingerprints over the course of this episode. Yeah, so that's great. I, I hadn't picked up on that. I love that connection. Um, so where you know this is again like this is this is Sawyer and and Kate and Sawyer like actually being in this place where like things are going well. The worst thing he has to worry about right now is like he has to get up in the night to pee. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is the worst that it is at the moment. He, you know, someone loves him, someone cares about him, he cares about them, he's unapologetic about it, she's unapologetic about it. She still wants to sleep in in her own tent. He's cool with it. You know, uh, even the the whole like fine scram. <laughs> yeah, it's, really- it's a weird. It's a weird thing where like initially I thought they were brusque with each other, but like they do kiss and there is some playful banter there. So it's clear that's just sort of the way that they yeah, it's regard their each dynamic. Other. It's their dynamic and it's fun and it's cute and I really really like it. And Sawyer is just clearly really really happy and I think it's it's such a wise choice to ground Sawyer in this moment because this is like. Um, this is the end of that for him yeah. for a while. You know, he's going to have another moment. You know, him and him and Kate are going to, you know, sleep together in season four. Um, and he's going to have some other human moments in season four. He gets to play Risk with Hurley and everything like that. Jumps, out, jumps way, out of a helicopter. He finds his way back to, to humanity. But this is like, in a way, the last like pure moment for Sawyer until his time with Juliet. Uh, you know, like I think that this is the last pure moment for that character until he gets to like actually have another break. Uh, so this is launching us into a really significant period of James Ford's life. Uh, and to have this as kind of like our last memory of that stuff, I think is important. Yeah, if I were to make an analogy, it's almost like Sawyer went into witness protection and was like mm. creating a new identity for himself. And then he happens to run into someone from his past life at the coffee shop. Right. Where right. like everything comes rushing back to him. He did not invite this back into his life, but now he can't help but live the life that he lived once before. Uh, so he he's going to offer to walk her. Uh, I got to pee anyway, so he's going to go and he's going to try and pee. But he sees something curious uh, outside of his tent. He's going to see Jin and Hurley outside of Hurley's tent. And the following exchange occurs. 
the hell y'all doing? What the hell are you doing? Going to take a leak. Yeah, well, so are we. Well, all righty then. <laughs> Great Ace Ventura <laughs> impression there, Sawyer. Yeah, I, I literally just included that sound because it cracks me up. I think it's super funny, and it is by far and away both the shortest and lightest audio clip that we will get in this episode because we're going to be playing really heavy scenes. <laughs> yeah, it under, but it is under the cloak of darkness, so not entirely literally light. Also, hopefully nobody translates that scene for Jin because he's like, why am I around Hurley and every time he has to mention P somehow? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We got P too. Well, alrighty then. And I love that. Like Sawyer, even in this moment, like he's in such a place where like he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to know what's going on, and that's usually not Sawyer's thing. Right. Um, like, exactly. He- I, I do wonder if after the whole events of one of us, where essentially he found out like he touched the stove and Juliet burned him quite literally, that he's like, all right, I'm just going to keep to myself now. Maybe I shouldn't delve into this too much. And I think this also sets up. Definitely, obviously not as important as what's going to happen in the main set, but definitely another thing that moves the chains along with what's to come. Uh, Hurley and Jin, the campers have started to make their way back to camp proper, Josh, but they are still being squirrely and sort of being to themselves because they are not sure who to disclose all the Naomi of it all to. Yeah, well, we'll get there, and they make a great choice, of course, when they mm-hmm. when they get there. Um, Sawyer's gonna go. He's gonna he's gonna go and begin to pee. I think he gets as far as pulling out his junk, uh, and then John Locke shows up. Hello, James. And uh, uh, I do think you know this would probably be a bigger moment had honestly we heard Kate not call him James like in the big group scene a couple of episodes ago. Because again, we have to sort of make the short list of who knows that Sawyer's name is James. Uh, we know Hurley, obviously from the manifest uh you know kate michael uh you know back in the day and i do feel like there's something big in him saying hello james because that's another clue of like how does he know sawyer's real name he must know sawyer's real story and i think you know when you when you're connecting the breadcrumbs as to where we get eventually with these flashbacks that's another bit of an indicator he's been calling him james for a while really Um, i'm trying to remember if he called him he called called him uh that's that first came up in um the hunting party Ah, yes you're right yeah so he's been calling him that for a while but i still think it's significant you know because there is sort of this paternal quality to john from john Locke to a bunch of other people and i think that a a relationship that gets overlooked is sort of the the uh this this one between Locke and sawyer of like a father figure to sawyer at certain points in time not that like i think sawyer like really thinks of him that way but just in, in sort of the idea of like John Locke is kind of like the island daddy to a certain degree. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, he is. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and I think like the fact that he shows up for that coffee scene in Outlaws and is there um, at a moment when um, Sawyer is reminiscing on the time that he thought he killed Sawyer, but he didn't. Um, and, and now to have these two people like bonded together in this episode and even then without knowing that they were bonded over something uh, there. I think like the fact that Locke comes here and in this moment where Sawyer is going to be reduced back to his childhood trauma and reminding him that you're not Sawyer, you're James Ford. Uh, I don't think that's insignificant at all. Mm. Well, plus, I think Locke is, is doing the good bro thing and telling Sawyer to X, Y, Z, which I admittedly have a very <laughs> common issue with that. So I appreciate the John Locke's of the world indicating the, to that to me, especially on the DL. Yes, for sure. So uh, zip your pants up. 
uh, so and he's like, I didn't join the others. Uh, he's like, why are you why are you back here? Why'd you blow up the submarine? Well, didn't you join the others? I didn't join the others. I infiltrated him. Yeah, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad and I kidnapped that, Ben. And we talked about this during one of us. I'm glad that at least someone is showing some, you know, uh, some fury towards John Locke for this news that like, oh, he went yeah. off with the others because again, that is a big deal, and we finally get to see that vocalize but like you said Locke has an explanation for everything uh so he says i infiltrated him i kidnapped ben i dragged him into the jungle and i would like it if you would kill him uh and so we didn't see any of that and i do believe that like certainly for for me you know there's there's no doubt in my mind at this point on the first watch that he's talking about uh anthony cooper that it's Anthony Cooper that he dragged. That this is going to be. We're we're finally building to it. That's because I'm a I'm a huge lost dork at exactly. this point. And my so, friends and I have been talking about this forever, uh, and it's all over the internet as well. Yeah, this when, idea so that- when you see Locke and Sawyer in a scene together, and you know that the that Anthony Cooper is now on the island, you know this is going to happen. And and actually to go back to that initial question as to you know does this actually work as a twist? For me, it works in a twist in the same way that a Greek tragedy does. Where like a Greek tragedy does not really have many surprises in it. The whole advent of the Aristotelian drama is that the chorus comes out and says, like, this is what's going to happen. It's going to suck. And we essentially watch the characters come to that conclusion. So from that capacity, I still think it's a twist in that regard, just because it doesn't surprise us profoundly, especially those that were tapped into the vein of Lost, doesn't not make it a twist because it's a revelation for these characters. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a twist. I, I don't think that it's like too obvious. I think it's, it's obvious because it's playing fair, uh, that it's, uh, it's, it's the culmination of something. Um, I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here because I know that there are people who, including the person who I'm speaking to right now, who haven't seen the show. Uh, but people who are who are watching it for the first time right now because we live in the time where old shows are new again because we don't have new shows. Um, and that's Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And and Battlestar Galactica um, was built was very clearly building towards something. Uh, it was it was heavily speculated about by fans. And instead, there is a pivot towards like something that really doesn't make any kind of sense, and they didn't uh, they didn't go with the thing that people had guessed because people guessed it, and that was such a mistake. Yeah, it was such a mistake to like uh, change your story because people figured it out. People figured it out because you were playing fair. This is another reason why people figured out the uh, Sawyer and Locke connection. They were playing fair, and they stuck to the vision, and thank God they did. Um, to, to pivot away from that, I think, is a, is a mistake. And it's a twist for the characters. It's a twist for the people who did not put it together. I don't think it's too obvious, but frankly, it doesn't even matter if it's obvious. It's the idea that like if your, if your thing can be ruined by a spoiler, then your thing is probably not that good to begin with. I absolutely believe in that. Um, I think that like if if people knowing what your central twist is completely ruins the movie, um, then your movie's probably uh, already ruined. Yeah, you yeah. know, um, like I think it, it, you want to preserve that twist because it's a delight to experience that surprised for the first time and unspoiled. Um, but if it doesn't still hold up when you then re-examine it and go back to it. Something was wrong to begin with. It's it's, it's a flash in the pan. You know, it's it's all spark, no substance. And, you know, I think the other thing that really is substantial when it comes to these twists is also the aftermath. And if I may invoke a piece of pop culture that I've actually seen, let's talk R plus L equals J. Uh, That was a huge fan theory that had been years in the making that actually manifested itself on something like Game of Thrones. And it was a big deal at the time 
but the fact that there was really, in the retrospect, very little payoff to it all, I think really sours that twist in people's minds. And despite what you might be saying about, in both cases, I think if you were really tuned into what fans were saying, well, in both cases, it's something that's going to eventually happen that was come came barreling down and was only a matter of time. But whereas I feel like Game of Thrones just did it just to do that thing and then really made nothing of it moving forward. Here they used it in a way to make memorable character connections and epiphanies and seminal events in their lives. That's going to, to the points that we made throughout this podcast, really change both of these characters moving forward. For sure. So he's going to say, like, uh, I want you to kill him. Sawyer says, I'm not a murderer. Uh, and he says, yeah, well, what about that guy you killed in Sydney? Uh, and Sawyer's like, uh, what Yeah, John, John <laughs> Snopes Lockyer doing the fact checking on Sawyer uh, in the moment. What are you talking about? I have no idea. You know nothing, John Snopes. Uh, <laughs> and he's going to say, well, they've got files. Uh, and he said, well, their files are wrong. And Locke says, well, then I guess I made a mistake. Don't tell anyone I was here. And he turns and walks, and he knows he's got oh, Sawyer's yeah, he's, number. He's got that grin on his face of like, oh, he's, oh I mean, I, and I'm pretty sure, actually, this is very similar to Confidence Man when Sawyer walks away from, like, Dom Abate at the table, right? When he's got that grin on his face, like, three, right. two, one. And then Sawyer says, you know what? I might still have to pee, and I might be barefoot, but I'm going to come with you. Yeah, so I think it's it's that's that's a really compelling pull as well, right? Because, like, this is an episode where where Sawyer is falling for a con, so to speak. Uh, and I, and I think that there's like, there, this is a, a, an episode that has a lot of regression for James Ford. Mm. Uh, I think progression as well, ultimately, but I think a lot of regression for him yeah. and like, uh, bringing him back to basics, both as a character, but also like as a human, uh, as, as an adult human who is now closer to resembling, I hate to say adult baby, so no! I won't, uh, but you know, closer to being, you know, a bit of a kid again. I will say, I think with Sawyer, it's the only way it out is through. I almost compare it to like, uh, you dive through a wave to, to move on from it. And so I feel like that's what Sawyer kind of has to do here in order to break on and, and move on to the person that he will eventually become in the future or past, however you want to put it. He's going to have to push through the pain and trauma of refacing this moment. Speaking of pushing through the pain, does Sawyer ever pee or is he just holding it for the rest of the episode? Maybe he pisses on Anthony Cooper's corpse once he's done with it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> just like adding they, insult to injury there it, it doesn't appear that that happens but if you want a, a headcanon that mike uh I won't comes you. in like why does he smell like pee uh all right so flashback to three days earlier john Locke is with the others he's specifically with cindy helping her with the with the tent and she She's has like, she has like a, an arstian like scarf that she has on with so many knots in it that's all i could watch during this this little interaction She's like, hey, you know, everybody's gawking at you because they're so excited you're here, John. Yeah, what, waiting for you. What is it with these people? Like, first it's Jack in the cage, and now it's Locke putting up a tent. They are fascinated with everything 815 is doing. Well, I think they got to be pretty stoked about John Locke. I mean, I think, like, especially for, like, so w- we never really know. Like, what is the stuff that happens for, like, Cindy specifically to be like, here's the kool-aid right like here's what the others are are pushing and this is why you should be excited about it because obviously like she cares about the kids uh she wants to make sure that they're safe um but she also often does come across as though like uh she's buying it this is this is a moment where she really does seem like she's buying what the others are selling and uh you have to imagine that like there is like this piece of the sales pitch that's like you know john there's a guy 
Yeah, he he had a broken spine. He can walk now. Here, here's the file. Check yeah, it out. I mean, he was like, like oh, you served him that vodka on the plane. Like that's that's that guy. That's that. They have a celebrity in your midst, and I'm not talking about the lottery winner or the guy of the drive shaft. You know, so I I think like getting getting them hyped on that uh, would make a lot of sense for why people would be really excited about Locke. Um, I once thought that maybe like uh, do some of these people know that Locke is a time traveler in, mm. in the, at, at well, some point one, in the future. one of them certainly does, which we'll get one to. One of them does, and that matters in those interactions. I think it's probably, it's a little harder to, because, like, there's no way that the, the other gawkers know that and Benjamin Linus doesn't, right? Right. Um, and so if we're going to take that on, I'm not prepared today to take that on, but let's float that idea out there in case hatchlings have ideas about this. Does Benjamin Linus know that John Locke is going to be a time traveler? Mm. Is that part of the intelligence he has, or is that something that Richard Albert is clo- holding yeah, close could, to the could best? This be like, I would be inclined to believe, believe that Albert wouldn't tell Ben that. Yeah, if Richard created the dossiers on everybody, could that have been something he redacted and kept in his pocket? I would, if I'm Richard Albert. Uh, yeah, that's what I do, especially because like, like J- Jacob's like, oh well, Ben thinks he's the leader of the others. That's fine, let him be. And then like over time, as you're working for Ben more and more, you're starting to realize like this guy sucks. This guy's dangerous. In fact, this guy like, uh, this guy probably shouldn't be in charge of everything. And like you're starting to feel, like, well, the time traveling guy who I've been thinking about for forty years, fifty years, whatever it's been, um, he's here now. You know, and like, so now, like, you're starting to rethink some of your decisions. Uh, that I don't think that that's a guy that I tell about, well, there's this time traveler who's going to be coming in who's going to say that he's in charge of me. Uh, but like, I'm, I've seen some weird shit here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and believe that. But I think he's going to back pocket that stuff. And I think that that's going to be why Richard Alpert is going to want to actualize John Locke now that he's here. Mm. He's had experience with this guy. Yeah. And he also, you know, he knows that this guy will eventually become the leader of the others too. So like, what good is that going to do Benjamin Linus knowing that? That's just going to villainize Locke more in his eyes. So I do like this idea then if it's the Richard versus Ben one-sided feud that Richard is, is you know, keeping this, uh, you know, in his own pocket. And I, speaking of timelines, Josh, can we talk for a second about the recorded message here? Because right. we, we got a couple of, of like, uh, you know, questions about this with how it worked with DOC. Yeah, so I think uh, you know one of the things that we are we are wondering here is uh, is this uh, is this one of the first times that the that the show is like kind of like jumping forward in time because this is three days ago. Doc was the most recent episode. Yeah, and, of- I, and I believe this was technically I think was, this was supposed to be like day eighty five, and I believe the events of Doc. I think when Juliet records that message, it's six a.m. in the morning on day eighty seven. I think. Okay, so there's a little bit of a continuity error, I would say. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think so. it's as simple as that. I think it's as simple Listen, as that. Listen, I'm done coming up with cockamamie theories based on uh, continuity uh, errors. I've, I've made my bet in that regard. Yeah, I, I just, I, like, we could go there if we want. There's so much that's working in this episode that, and that's the thing, right? Like, uh, can, can an episode conquer that stuff uh, because of all the other things that are going on? And we've talked about this before, uh, at, you know, with, like, one of them, with the whole truth. Can an ending... Uh, you know, uh, pushed like an otherwise fine episode further down the line mm-hmm. towards greatness. Um, you know, this is a, an instance where like a continuity error is not even like it, it's not even denting the armor. No. As far as and I want to talk for a second because Locke is going to visit Ben, who's listening to this time traveling message in his tent. 
And there's a couple of interesting things in this tent here. So the first is uh, one of the books that Ben is reading is called The Oath, which is a, a novel by John uh, Lescroart, which is about a doctor who murders seriously ill patients for financial gain. So again, if you want to look into what Ben Linus is perusing in his free time, check that out. That says a lot about him. But I love it's going to be short lived, but I love this imagery of Ben Linus's walking stick. And I never really caught it the first time or didn't really dote on it, but it is so meaningful in so many ways. First, uh, you know, this is this is comparable to the last character we knew who wielded a stick and had sort of a friendly relationship with John Locke, which is Mr. Echo. Mm-hmm. And I do yeah. sort of love that this passing of the baton in a way of like, this is going to be the next you know, complicated character that Locke is going to have a huge tie These, to. like, theological discussions and debates with, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and there's also this idea that Locke, earlier on this season, followed Echo's stick to the letter and the law, which, again, is a representation of this guy's faith, and this is going to be a big tie-in with John's character as well. When they say that maybe one of the reasons why he got healed and someone like Ben did it was because of his unwavering faith to the island. So I don't know whether or not it means to be a callback to Echo and his stick, but I feel like it for lack of a better term, echoes really well considering Locke's relationship with that character before. Hey, Mike, I'm having such a good time right now. I just gotta say, I just gotta pause down and just be like, oh my god, having so much fun. This is so good. Uh, That's great. Love that. Uh, And he's saying, like, this. it's so great to have you here, John. I gotta be honest. Like A week ago, I couldn't feel my toes, and then you show up, and I can feel pins and needles, and like, oh my god, this is just the beginning of you and me. And then I'm like, oh, oh, that surgery pain is coming back. Wow, there were so many needles. So many needles in me. (laughs) But he's just like being like, oh, John, you know, the the, the sky's the limit for you and I. The purple sky's the limit. The only thing is, there's just one thing. Uh, that guy, you know, the one that we have tied to the pole in the middle of all of this. Uh, we got to probably do something about that, because as long as he's here, you'll never be free. Yeah, you'll uh, never be free until his... you release the hole that your father has over you. I should know. Why don't you go check that Dharma yes. van that your buddy started up a little while ago? You know, there is this, like, there is this piece of, like, you know, maybe some authenticity of, like, uh, Ben actually believing that, like, John Locke is not re- like. Look at this guy. He's. I killed my dad. I killed my dad, and I lost no sleep over it. I killed my dad for the cause and lost not a minute of sleep. And this guy's not going to be able to do it. Uh, where like you know, it's not. Is it all? Is it all a gambit, or is there like a bit of like again in the way that Benjamin Linus relates to people, like looking at Locke's inability to kill Cooper and being like, "You loser." Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, it's, it's Ben pulling a Christian Shepherd and telling Locke, "You just don't have what it takes." Hmm. Hmm. Very much. Very much that. Uh, and he's like, so why do you think uh, this guy came here anyway? And Locke's like, I don't know. Why don't you take me to the magic box and tell me? He goes, the box is a metaphor, Ben Martell. I mean, John Locke. <laughs> That's really the time-traveling element is Ben looked forward at the dot saying <laughs> that Ben Martell would be very, uh, you know, nonplussed by that. And Ben was making a direct comment to him. It was a metaphor the whole time. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Uh, so he tells him that. He's like, all right, you're going to... You're going to need to make a gesture of free will and commitment, John. You're going to have to kill your father. And again, this, uh, this that is, doesn't sound like free will to me. And that's exactly, <laughs> It sounds like you're placing an order and, on him. And that's exactly what I was saying before, right? He is, he is trying to say, oh, you're doing this. You know, this is uh, I'm mandating you to do this, but it's a choice you have to make. This is Ben Linus's rule book where he is keeping people subjugated by making them believe that they are there making choices out of the kindness or lack thereof of their heart. But at the same time, they're always doing it in service to him, whether they realize it or not. 
Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So then he like the, the flashback ends with Locke staring at his dad across the way, and his dad's just like he's gagged up, he's tied, and he's just looking at Locke. Uh, and you, you can only imagine what he's thinking in that moment. It's nothing good. Um, back at the beach, uh, Charlie's gathering supplies from the kitchen. Jack's like, I heard about the camping trip. Why didn't you call me? I would have gone. I could tell you all my stories about Thailand. I t- yeah, I'm pretty good at making marshmallow s'mores. Yeah. And except- I was like, what other kind of s'mores are there? <laughs> <laughs> well, except uh, he'd be like, uh, all he would do is just make pasta. Like, all that's yeah. all he would do is make pasta, talk about pasta. I make a mean campfire angel angel hair pasta. <laughs> just imagine, like, pieces of graham crackers with angel hair pasta wedged in between. <laughs> We've had a lot of weird food uh, hypotheticals. <laughs> that one's among the weirdest. Uh, Jack, I, I don't know if I like your smoothies. Italian s'mores. Angel hair s'mores, yeah. Angel hair smoothies. That's a s'more day. awful. That's a s'more uh, And so, uh, Jack said he didn't get the invite. And then they're they're with Desmond. They're like, maybe we should tell Jack. Desmond's like, uh, look, I wouldn't trust Jack. That dude's palling around <laughs> with uh, your girl Juliet. Uh, uh, these you know? pe- these others are not to be trusted. That's why I let one of them go last week. And also, like, she seems to be doing totally fine. Maybe doesn't need a doctor anymore. Like, is like you know, Mikhail did seem to 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 uh, puff her up, and she's doing fine, and she's like talking and stuff, and she's conscious. So we don't need the doctor yet. Get me someone who you do trust, because like the stakes are really high, uh, and they'll have a very good answer to who they can trust in just a little while. So, so First, from a logistical okay. perspective, do we assume that? I mean, I guess when they caught. Uh, uh, Hurley and Jin, quote unquote, peeing. Did, did the campers move Naomi to a tent under the cloak of night, and just nobody was roused because of it? Yeah, I think that's right. These guys are are super, very like, good, super stealthy. If we had a, if we had enough points, I think you give another MVP to everybody on the camping yeah, trip. Yeah, I honestly uh, cannot <laughs> believe they kept this thing hidden, considering like, I, and yeah. good on Naomi, I guess, for staying quiet because otherwise she could let out like moans of agony, and people would be like, oh, I mean, gawkers were, were are gawking it much less on eight one five. If I heard, Mike, maybe this explains the time jump. Maybe they were all just hanging out in the woods for a couple of days until like Naomi stopped like crying. She's like, okay, I'm good to go. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, why Why does it sound like there's like a Duolingo app going in your tent where like five different languages are being spoken at yeah, once? Yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it's that. It's fine. It's fine. Go go, it's go! Fine. wash your red shirt, Jack. All right. Let's get to our first extensive sound of the episode. Uh, it is uh, – it's going to be James Ford, barefoot, the barefoot Contessa himself. Walking through the jungle with Johnny Locke. Uh, still holding it, one assumes, because uh, he's got to deliver that on to Anthony Cooper. Uh, and Sawyer and Locke are going to have a conversation. It's going to get pretty intense pretty quickly. Let's listen in. You should have put some shoes on. You think? So what else is in it? In what? File they got on me. Not much. That your parents died when you were very young. But it doesn't say why your father shot your mother. Or why he turned the gun on himself. That must have been hard for you. High school transcripts, uh, criminal record, all the con jobs you were arrested for, 
I guess that's why you use an alias, huh? Why did you choose the name Sawyer? How stupid do you think I am? I already been conned by Ben once. Maybe you heard about it. Bunny with a number painted on it. Jake, I'm just going to follow you through the jungle. James, please. You have, to, you have to trust me. Where are you taking me? Tell me the truth. What do you want from me? I'm bringing you there to do exactly what I said. To kill Ben. Why did you come back to get me? I had to. Why me? Why won't you do it yourself? James, please. Don't call me James. Why won't you do it yourself? Because I can't. I can't. I can't do it. That's why I came back for you. I'll go to wherever you got him. But then we're bringing him back to our camp. I ain't killing nobody. You understand me? Yeah. I understand. But you'll change your mind. When you hear what he has to say, you'll change your mind. And obviously not represented in audio form, but the face on Josh Holloway, because that, mm-hmm. that's the final scene of the act. But as Locke walks away, it like, you know, pans over to Sawyer's face, which is extremely conflicted because Locke basically called him out. Like Sawyer is saying this, but he knows and Locke knows that like there's a very good chance he is going to, uh, you know, go back into, you know, go go into his worst fear and essentially become the man that he was right before the island shooting Frank Duckett because he he knows that this is going to be something that he will. He doesn't with. want to kill anyone. Yeah, he doesn't want, it, if he doesn't have to, he doesn't want to do that. Right, but at the same time, I think he also knows like the type of person he is. Where okay, if you were if you were faced with the ability to get revenge on something, it's, it's a very tasty temptation, even for someone like Sawyer, who to your point has tried to become a better man yeah i think i think also um you know there's the line don't call me james uh you get that in the audio but what you miss is before that before he runs and tackles john after after john tells him like uh the file uh tells me that your parents died when you were young but doesn't say why your father shot your mother or why he turned the gun on himself that must have been hard for you. Yeah. Um, and there is, there's a couple of things happening there where one from, from like John Locke, who understands what it's like to have uh, such a, a profoundly sad and damaged and violent relationship with one's father, uh, that there is empathy there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also for, for James, who's not used to empathy, uh, being called James and having like this sort of like paternal figure expressing that empathy must be, outstandingly unusual to the point of this has never happened for him yeah, before. Even, even when Kate read the letter, I mean, I think she certainly had some sympathy and empathy there, but I do not think she had... I don't think she said the words that locked it, essentially, of like... From, like, coming from a man who could be your dad. Like, I think that that, that means something different. Like, I think that hits differently. You see it. This was what I was going to say. You see this in Holloway's face. You see mm. it in the way that he processes, processes that information. There is this, like, sadness. There is this youthfulness. There is this, there, there, there's this, like, visual expression of things that he missed, uh, things that he never got, things that he lost uh, over the course of his life when, when John brings all of that up. And then his face hardens again. And he, like, he, like, gets back to that anger. 
Um, and, and that's what pushes him towards the, towards the tackle. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. Uh, in an episode that is filled with these great, um, two handers, this is one of the best. I also love the symbology. Let's go from two handers to two feeders. Uh, obviously, it's built for comedy this moment where Sawyer, you know, he got caught literally flat-footed on his way to pee when, when Locke accosted him in the jungle. So he obviously was not prepared for it. But the imagery of Sawyer walking barefoot through here is really interesting. First, you know, if we're going back to the Anthony Cooper hell of it all, it's an interesting idea that, like, every step for him is agony uh, because this, he's walking through the woods barefoot which is not a good thing to do even the best survivor players would would tell you that and i think when he sticks his feet later on and like lets out a sigh of relief you can tell how much pain he is in from a physical and emotional perspective but it's actually very comparable to me of in i think it was a drift when we first see Locke go into the swan right when he takes off his shoes uh we talked about it a bit before the diehard comparison about how the guy on the plane tells john mcclain uh just in time for christmas hey if you take off your shoes like that's how you get settled into your natural environment and Locke does that whether uh, he means to or not when he enters the swan and Sawyer is kind of left doing that here too where he has to find his natural setting that's what his entire arc is about this episode in order to do so he has to shed his clothes in a manner of speaking but also shed what he has essentially built up for a good amount of time on the island so far Ah, it's so good. Um, all right, back at the beach. Speaking of so good, uh, let's bring that dude count up. Hurley comes up to Sa- Saeed, who's just burying stuff in the yeah, jungle. Yeah, what is he doing? Is he pre- I don't know, pre- man. Yeah, maybe he's like preemptively. Maybe he's like, I know someone will die soon, so let me just dig a hole ahead of time. I'm raking leaves. Uh, Hurley comes up. Hey, dude. Sa- Saeed goes, hey, Hurley. And then there's no follow-up. Yep, and Hurley just and stares <laughs> at him for an unfortunate amount of time. Yeah, and so Saeed, who's such a badass, just, like, knows that something's up. So he turns around to Hurley, and Hurley says, can you keep a secret? And Saeed just kind of, like, nods at him, like, who do you think you're talking to? Uh, Like, obviously, I can keep a secret. Uh, I love Saeed, goes with Hurley to Charlie to the tent, uh, asks, like, so you haven't told Jack yet? And Charlie's like, no, not yet. And Saeed just, like, grabs him by both arms and says, like, good. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's remember this is still, even though Juliet read Saeed for filth in One of Us, I think unlike Sawyer, he has, he doesn't have a sweet boo thing on the island at this moment. I think he's still probably fixated on this idea of, like, not to trust Juliet. I think there's a lot going on here with Saeed, considering what happened with Ben last season. I think he is much more hesitant to trust someone like Juliet, knowing they had someone in their midst who he was immediately onto. His gut was right. Why wouldn't his gut be right this time? So I think it makes sense that he's not going to shake this anytime sooner and on top of that the idea that even jack might be indoctrinated yeah for sure because i mean it happened with michael so like he doesn't know you know he has no yeah, idea so, so far he has like a, a completely he's batting a thousand right now in terms of everyone he suspects is bad is usually bad and he's ultimately not wrong uh with with juliet yeah, at, the, at, at the that time, moment he encountered in time. Her, yeah she she was had every chance to or she had every intention to like you know take down 815 from within he was not counting on her heel turn and so he's and he's also not wrong to think that like Jack has blinders on Juliet because at that moment like Jack is not read in on what Juliet has going on with Ben uh and he's also not wrong you know right now and in the immediate uh future uh of like Jack's keeping something from us mm-hmm. you know there's something we're not being told yet uh so you know like there there is a degree of trust that is broken between uh Jack and Saeed right now that I don't know if it ever fully gets repaired yeah uh, I think it gets repaired to a degree and I think once they both like feel like they've got like active 
um, uh, actual uh, actionable plans to get off the island. They're able to figure that stuff out. But right now, it's it's busted. So the way he comes to Charlie is just like, good, I'm glad you didn't. And the fact that like when he gets brought into the tent and Desmond takes one look at Saeed, he's like, perfect. Yeah. Yes, that's You the read guy. my mind. Absolutely. You you got the exact right person to to come in here. Yeah. All right. So let, let's give a listen here to uh, yeah. Saeed, Saeed and Naomi. Saeed and Naomi's first conversation. My name's Saeed Jarrah. I understand your helicopter crashed onto the island. Actually, it crashed in the water. What's your name? Naomi. Naomi Dorrit. Naomi. From where exactly did you take off? A ship. Freighter. About 80 nautical miles west of here. A part of a search and recovery team. You told my friends the wreckage of Flight 815 was discovered. Did you mean the partial wreckage? No. They found the entire plane off the coast of Bali, in an ocean trench four miles deep. They sent down cameras in these little robots to survey the wreck. The bodies were all there. Well, obviously we're not dead. Obviously. So if you weren't looking for us, then who were you looking for? Him. Desmond. My company was hired by a woman named Penelope Whitmore. I don't know why. I never met her. She gave us a set of coordinates. We've been conducting a differential GPS grid search ever since. You knew about the island? Island? We were given coordinates in the middle of the bloody ocean. We thought it was a fool's errand. Until three days ago. I was flying back for the ship when all of a sudden the clouds cleared and I saw land. The instruments started spinning. I realized I was going down, so I grabbed my shoe and I bailed. Did you actually see her helicopter? No. You think I'm lying, mate? And I take it you have no means whatsoever of communicating with that freighter of yours. What was your name? Saeed? Yes. Remind me not to rescue you, Saeed. Joke's on you. You'll be dead when I'm rescued. <laughs> uh, I I love that line. Remind me not to rescue you, Saeed. Yeah, she's so... I love this Naomi sass. Uh, even, even like, early on, he's like, you know, uh, you crashed in this island. She goes, well, technically, I crashed in the water. Uh, just being yeah. a little Samantha semantics. Let, let's talk about this for a second, because I need a reminder... Josh, I don't know if, if you or the Hatchlings can can answer this for us. Sure. Why does Naomi lie that she's there on behalf of Penny? Because it's obvious that she's not. That obviously this was a this was a different Widmore that sent her there. But I can't remember. Was she given the narrative of like when you land? I don't remember. I don't remember if that's going to be in confirmed dead. If like uh, here's here's like the lie that you give. People can definitely fill us in on that. Um, but I can imagine at the very least like why she's not telling the truth because. There's like kill orders here, right? right? I was, well, like, was going to say it makes sense why she's not telling like, the truth. I just, I just wonder if she was given that line of like yeah. you specifically should bring up right. Penny, or if she was just no, like screaming like, "Uh, Penny, that's right, Penny sent me." Yeah, I, I, I don't recall. Um, but I mean, I know that they've got shoot to kill orders. If it, if it, it, I don't remember if like, do they have to kill them all, or is it just like we'll kill everybody if we need to? Yeah, I feel like it, I feel like it might be the latter, and then once we get Kimi involved, it very much turns into the former. Kimi's like, "Yeah, we're just going to kill everyone." Yeah, let's just carpet bomb the island. <laughs> 
Um, man, Saeed Jarrah's the best. Uh, just like even though even though he's wrong that like she's got the the thing, like she's got the ability to communicate. Like he's just asking all the right questions. He's paying attention. He's an active listener. Uh, you know, like everything. Like, did you actually see the helicopter? The way that he's dealing with her, as far as like bedside manner, it's all very, very, very good. Saeed is uh, a very worthy MVP of this episode. I think in terms of just like pure like uh, like a character's actions. Like he just plays all of this. Totally, totally right. Well, on top of that, Josh, he fixes the sat phone. The thing yes. that for a while they thought, like, oh, was absolutely inoperable. No, I don't know. This is not nearly as much of a huge fix as he had to do to the transponder in in the pilot. But this is like shades of the Professor Saeed that we saw in season one, the gather all of your electronics. Uh, though I did find it very interesting that Hurley was the first to, like, identify the sat phone, right, what it was, but has no idea how it works. Right, right. Uh yeah, we wouldn't even tell you if we had a sat phone. Uh, I love the scene. I just love Saeed in this episode. Um, all right, back with John and James. Uh, walking along, they stop at the creek. You know the one, the only creek on the island. Yeah, the nice little like uh, footbath foot creek that Sawyer uses here as well to, yeah, to so, ease so his aching So is this, this is the same creek that Mr. Echo drank out of. I wonder how many other dirty feet. Uh, have yeah, bathed well, off especially considering the other cosplay you gotta imagine there's a lot of dirty feet trudging through those waters 100 percent, 100 percent. uh and so he's like hey uh could you tell me like why you think i'm gonna kill ben uh like why do you think it's gonna why do you think that's gonna happen and Locke's like i don't know i don't i don't i don't ask me too many questions because then i'm just gonna tell you like look uh the guy who killed your dad's my dad like yeah. you're gonna you're gonna love this you're gonna want to kill this guy uh you know there there is like so in in the in the in the in the spirit of them being by the water uh drinking water you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink unless that horse uh, is the smoke monster yeah, in which case the that that horse doesn't need to drink water because it subsists on immortal evil smoke. Um, John Locke is a guy who, from the moment that we've met him on this show, certainly on the island, is interested in 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 sharing. Uh, spread the faith, Johnny. Right, like he's a he's a guy who wants to share the wealth of like what he's feeling and these like ideas of miracles and small miracles and helping you to actualize yourself, mm-hmm. like giving Charlie the choice of whether or not to um to to become uh you know to to free himself to become the moth, right? Um, and I I think here with Sawyer, like he doesn't want to just come out and say it. You know, he want he wants Sawyer to be able to go to that moment and make the choice. And he believes that the answer, that the proper answer, and I think that this is one of those places where like this is a very big sign that John Locke does not necessarily have all the answers. Because I think yeah. the idea of like murder this man is not good. You know, no, no matter what, like, yeah, does he have it coming? Absolutely. But like still the idea of murder this man <laughs> is kind of messed up. Um but in his mind he is helping James Sawyer Ford to actualize, to become James Ford instead of beco- uh, being Ford. Sawyer for the rest of his life. Um, so uh, I think it's just it's just a, a fair moment to like stop down and remark on that, and also uh, you know that being like part and parcel with this moment from Sawyer being like what you read in the file, like it was a mistake. I thought he was somebody else. Like I didn't mean to kill him. Uh, and this is when Locke's like, well, who did you mean exactly. to kill? And this, and this is very of that mold of Locke being like, I know something you don't know, and you're going to know it soon enough, and you're going to make the choice, and I am the shaman who led you there. Not only that, but it also reminds Sawyer of like, yes, you may have killed the wrong man, but you still had the urge to kill, right? He sort right. of is calling out Sawyer to his face of like, you say you, you're not a killer and you don't do this, but 
you literally did kill someone, whether incidental or not. You have this capacity, and there's a very good chance the person that you see, depending on what you see, you're going to do it again. Right, 100%. Um, All right, so uh, another flashback three days ago. Ben's going to wake Locke up in the middle of the night. He's going to bring him over to Tony Coop's. Uh, in the middle uh, of the night, yeah. I've been locking in my sleep. We already went to the River of Dreams. We were just there. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the River of Fee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the River Sophie. <laughs> uh, so he's going to bring I was searching my over. daddy. <laughs> Uh, so he's gonna bring he's gonna bring Locke over to his dad. He's gonna give him a knife, uh, and uh, this is what happens. I know it won't be easy, but the quicker the better. You're kidding me, right? You expect him to kill me, John? The hesitation that you're feeling is just the part of you that still feels like he has a perfectly good explanation for stealing your kidney. Throwing you out of an eight-story window. Don't you want to be free from him? The hesitation he's feeling is because he is a spineless... Shut up! I gotta think. Don't think, John. You're wasting your time, bug eye. Me and him have been through all this. All he wants is his daddy. Shut up, I said shut up! You really haven't figured it out yet, have you? Let go of him, John. Why are you doing this to me? You're doing this to yourself. As long as he's still breathing, you'll still be that same sad, pathetic little man that was kicked off his walkabout tour because you couldn't walk. of the week, John, if you change your mind. I'm sorry. He's not who we thought he was. But I want to draw specific attention first to the bookends of that sound, which are both fantastic call forwards, uh, because first 
We start off with Ben giving Locke a knife. Let's fast forward to the end of season five when quote unquote Locke gives Ben yeah. a knife, literally and yep. metaphorically, to kill Jacob. Yep. And then yep. the very end of the scene is Ben taking that knife away from Locke and saying, he's not who we thought he was. Let's flash forward or flash back to the aforementioned cabin fever, where of the many things John Locke will be choosing to identify was, you know, between a knife and a compass, etc., picks the wrong thing. And that gives Richard Alpert essentially this idea of he's not who I, we thought he was. He's not special. Right. And so that it's some fantastic stuff that not only calls back to what we've experienced so far with John Locke, but still shows, for lack of a better term, the shape of things to come. Totally. Oh, that was the perfect term to use. Uh, yeah, I think all of that is is very, very apt. And I think like in like our long preamble before going into the episode proper, um, you know, short shifting Ben a little bit. And, but I think that that's just a, a testament to how rich this episode is, including how Albert it is. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think for Ben, there there's a lot here. Uh, I think like both in terms of like planting some, you know, some flags in the ground of like where he's been, where he's going, who he came with, who he's leaving mm. with, um, you know, what his journey is going to be and how it connects to either John Locke or Locke, um, like the visage of John Locke being a manifestation of the island. Let's talk about that. You know, like mm. I think that that's a through line for John Locke as a, and for specifically Terry O'Quinn as a presence on the show. Um, so I, I think that that's all really, really great. I think for Locke, um, it doesn't feel right. There's too much pressure. It's a reminder of who he was. He doesn't want that anymore. Uh, he can't bring himself to do it. He's always been so weak in the face of his father. The right answer hasn't clicked. It doesn't feel right. Yep. This doesn't feel right. But the island is going to give him a sign soon. That is going to tell him, like, no, not only is killing this guy right, but there's actually a very poetic way to do it. Uh, and... That's going to turn this whole situation uh, moving forward. Yeah, and I love Ben sort of being like the the sideline coach to this as well. And again, you have to wonder how much of this is Ben building up this big moment to humiliate John and how much this might be him projecting his own daddy issues and being like, this is how you kill your father, John. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Stab, stab, stab. This is how you stab him. But yeah, so I think there's some personal bias there. But, you know, Ben really digging into John Locke. And again, it's a double-edged sword or double-edged knife in that regard in him trying to push John, but also humiliating him by reminding him what just happened before he came onto the island. That, like, no matter what, no matter if this island thinks you're special, you were the guy denied a walkabout tour because you couldn't walk. And you've right. got to imagine there, there's, again, some some strategy behind what Ben Linus tries to do. And it ends up working in a certain regard because as, as Locke looks out at the other version of the Gawkers, they look pretty disenfranchised uh, with this guy that they thought was the super special miracle man. Yep. Uh, yeah, well, I think also because, like, at this point, they're sort of, like, indoctrinated to believe that sort of this, like, uh, this goobble-gobble-one-of-us, like, savage way or this Lord of the Fliesian uh, type of society that that is, uh, or at yeah, least this Lord the, of the Flies type of leadership the society style that from brands Ben is the way. people when they commit wrongs. Right. Yeah, so like they were like, show, like give us blood. We want blood. We demand a show. Um, you know, I think I think there's a measure of that. I think that another read when you look out at the Gawkers, this is the best group of Gawkers we've encountered on Lost so far. <laughs> I think is because there's a lot loaded into the way that they are watching the situation. Is like, are they disappointed that John Locke isn't uh, giving them the show, or are they terrified of the show? Mm. Right? Like, is this a moment where like? 
yeah, they believe that there are special things happening out here on the island, but this is like really scary. And these are some of those moments where some of us aren't feeling necessarily like this is the right way to go. Of course, there's the more militant others like uh, like Ryan Price and all those people who are going to lead the charge on the camp. Um, you know, in a, in a few days, in a few episodes from now. But then there's also like the Cindy and the kids and the people who are of their ilk uh, who don't necessarily want to like you know, live under the the reign of of an oppressive leader, and yet they are part of this community, and this community is run by this oppressive leader, and they don't necessarily have either a choice or at least an easy choice, mm-hmm. a survivable choice potentially. Um, so it's it's a really loaded scene from from that standpoint of like who the others are. I think that there is an interpretation of this episode in terms of people who maybe don't care for it too much that like, if we're going to get these John Locke flashbacks to his time with the others, couldn't we at least learn a little bit more about the others? I would argue that I think that this scene tells you a ton about the culture of the others in this present moment. Well, not only that, but, you know, they go to someplace old, as Ben said. It seems like they're going to some sort of, of set of ruins. They're on their way to the tent. Right, exactly. You know, but, they're but, on their way to the tent. And not the past. They're on their way to the pole. <laughs> but I think that this is, it's it's a good indication of maybe also looking ahead to what the leader of the island is going to turn out to be and whether or not he is a completely good, completely moral person. How sometimes when you follow the edict of a person to the letter and to the law, that involves maybe having to stare right in the face of something that is amoral. Uh, I, I think that's a really intriguing concept as well, and I think it's not... It's not ironic that this is set up on a set of ruins. It's almost saying, hey, this is what could have happened and probably has happened in the past. This is what's happening now, and this is what will happen in the future under leaders like Benjamin Linus. All right, let's take a quick break here. Uh, we're going to stop down just to, just to catch our breaths because, man, Mike, this is, this is all a lot yeah, right I, now. I, we'll I, be right back. I see a ship in the distance. Let me go hang out in there for a little bit. I see a ship in the distance. Let's go, let's go yada yada our way over to the ship. We'll be right back after this. Okay, Mike. So uh, we're 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 on our way to the Black Rock, and I think this is Sawyer's first time seeing. It's like, hey, first time. Yeah, I mean, this is like, oh, nice digs. You've been holding out on me, Johnny boy. Well, the Black Rock Club is it's very exclusive. Uh, I do like Locke does again pull out a little bit of his Lockopedia here. I'm surprised he does not mention Mozambique, but this time he comes up with a theory that is you know incorrect. But he does say like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they came to the island firsthand to try to mine it for supplies. Right. Uh, another thing, again, this is just another, uh, like, the continuity gaps or whatever, like, they don't bother me in this episode, but I, I did, it did, uh, I did notice it for the first time, is that there's just a box, uh, that Rousseau is gonna grab in a little while that's, like, a crate filled with the yeah, dynamite. Yeah, I was gonna say, Arst is, like, just sweating right now, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but the, the crate says explosives on it. Um, is that what that would say? Coming from, you know, like the 1870s, yeah, in the Canary Islands. You know? <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, you would imagine it would probably be written in Spanish because it was because I don't I don't think they were heading for the colonies at all. Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. Maybe. Maybe. maybe it, I don't know. Someone can. Someone maybe, can. Maybe, uh, maybe it's multilingual. Maybe it says like Sp- in, in Spanish on the other side. And it's sort of like the, the French Canadian. and They want to put it in both languages for those that, that speak multiple tongues. I just think that's great uh, uh, that it's that it's explosive. So they're they're surveying the Black Rock, and and Sawyer uh, gets brought to the brig where uh, where quote unquote Benjamin Linus is, and he says, "I'm not killing him." Locke says, "All right, sure, whatever you say, James." And then he locks him in the brig 
with the guy and lo- and Sawyer's like, "What the hell, man? What the hell, bro? Are you serious? You're gonna you're gonna just trap me in here? This isn't cool." Uh, and then the gu- other guy is just screaming his head off, screaming, and he takes the bag. I'm like, "Would you just shut up?" And then it's just someone he's never seen before, mm-hmm. and the, the the music spikes. And uh, if you didn't know it yet, now you definitely do. <laughs> if you do. don't know, now you know. If you don't know, now you know that this is the guy. This is the one. It's happening. It's real. Uh, and and maybe still, like, if you're, like, uh, you know, if you're, uh, not, you know, not, like, a deep-cut nerd for it or if you haven't put it together, you got to be wondering, like, all right, well, why does Locke think that Sawyer would kill this guy? And I think that it's still, like, going to be, like, because, like, if you've watched Lost before and you've been watching the show but you haven't been going deep-dive territory into it, um, then you at least you got to remember that, like, Sawyer's whole story is that he took his name, you know, from from the guy. Mm-hmm. Like they've been subtly reminding us of that in this episode. Uh, you know, with the, with the walk and talk with Locke, with the thing behind the, beside the, the the river of feet. Um, so like they've been they've been reminding us there. Uh, at this point, even the most casual fan has to be like, "Oh shit, it's the same guy." Yep, and they're locked in the room, and this they're is locked. far from a uh, a sitcom trope of they're going to work out their differences and walk out arm in arm. No, two enters, one leaves. Yeah. All right. So back at the beach, Saeed fixes the sat phone. That's uh, really exciting. That's this is the moment where her always like, what did you think about the fact that she said we're all dead? He's like, yeah, one thing at a time. I can't deal with that right but now. But also, <laughs> that's way too heavy to process. As much praise as we should loud onto Saeed for this. They are out in the middle of the open with this sat phone, this big secret. So that when Kate understandably walks out on them, like loudly talking about this, they, they really have nowhere to go. Yeah, and so Saeed's like, can you keep a secret? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, well, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. Uh, Oh, she says, hey, look, as long as there's no pictures of me going around doing things, I can keep a secret for at least a little while. I think also the fact that uh, she is going to uh, spill the beans in front of Juliet, uh, if not for the presence of Anthony Cooper, I think uh, there's a very compelling argument that Kate deserves an LVP in this episode. Not a great streak of episodes for Kate. No, no, tough, 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 tough. Uh, All right, so uh, back at the Black Rock, Loxie's Rousseau, just a nice little moment of like, uh, what are you doing here, Dynamite? What about you? Screaming on the other side. Cool, cool, yeah, cool, cool, it's, cool. It's, it's, a, it's a fun moment for the two characters who are very secretive in their own right. And also, it's going to be a nice little foreshadowing as to yes. Rousseau's own involvement in the secret Jack scheme that's going to come up a couple episodes from now. Yes, yeah, so we're setting this up. We're, we're getting things moving there. Um, so she gets the, blo- uh, the box of explosives. Uh, oh, do you think it was written totally by the cool. series Bible creators? That's why yeah, it's in all I caps. Do, I, I do think so. Uh, meanwhile, we get the penultimate flashback of the episode where John Locke is sort of just like sitting out on the on the hillside all by his onesies uh, when somebody is going to come up to, to take a seat and have a little stop and chat with Johnny Locke. It's beautiful, isn't it? No matter how much time you spend on the island, you just never get tired of this view. Yeah, we haven't been formally introduced. I'm Richard. You mind if I join you here? Ah, sure. He wanted to embarrass you. I'm sorry? Ben knew you weren't going to kill your own father. He put you in front of everyone in our camp just so they could all watch you fail. Why? 
Because when word got back here that there was a man with a broken spine on the plane who could suddenly walk again, well, people here began to get very excited because that, that could only happen to someone who was extremely special. But Ben doesn't want anyone to think you're special, John. And why are you telling me this? Ben has been wasting our time with novelties like fertility problems. We're looking for someone to remind us that we're here for more important reasons. What do you want from me? I want for you to find your purpose. And to do that, your father has to go, John. And since you're not going to do it... I'm going to suggest someone else. Sawyer? Why would Sawyer kill my father? He doesn't even know him. Keep reading. This is a scene, Josh, that has gained so much weight and significance yeah. for me upon watching the series. Yeah! Because, I, mean, yes. I mean, first, think about what Richard is sort of convincing John to do in comparison to what I'm so yeah, as opposed to back in the day when John is going to convince Richard to do something appearing essentially out of nowhere being like, Hey, I'm going to be the leader of you in the future. Can you go find me as a little kid? And then, you know, carry forward all this stuff. It's, it's a nice little balance of that, but also this is a bit of psychology into who Richard Alpert is right now. Uh, Obviously there are things like him saying, you never get tired of the view, uh, I'm assuming he just really loves his panel talk shows, and that's what he's really speaking uh-huh. <laughs> about. But obviously, that yeah. that speaks to you know how much time he spent on the island. But I think Richard's view of Ben, I think, is so much tied into his condition. The fact that the straw that appears to be breaking the camel's back or the uh, the polar bear's back for Richard is Ben focusing on quote unquote fertility problems. It would make sense that a man who is immortal would not give a lick about fertility problems. And I think, ironically enough, it is the humanity that Ben Linus is exploring in that moment that makes him an inviable candidate to Richard Alper. And so it's so interesting why he disqualifies Ben sort of based on that notion and feels like, you don't need to concentrate on that. This is more about the sanctity of the island as a whole. The island will outlive you, will outlive all these women, and I want to find somebody who knows that. Yeah, um, really, really well put. Um, why you know it, this got me wondering a little bit more about like why Ben is wasting everybody's time with novelty projects like uh, the fertility issue. Um, did you have any thoughts about that in, in terms of why this is such a priority for Benjamin Linus? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is. It got me thinking about the the idea of like lineage and an heir. Yeah, you know. Um, whether it's not, whether it's like he wants to, uh, you know, have, uh, a son, he wants to, you know, like he, he envisions himself and Juliet having a child together once this is resolved and this is the person who will inherit the empire or that it's like his daughter will produce the heir that she gets to continue the line as it were, uh, the Linus line, <laughs> um, even the name Linus, you know, like this is a guy who's very, who, who might be very concerned with, with that idea of legacy and why he's doing all of this and his like proudful place in, in all of this. I, I actually, um, I, I've had that thought and it's going to really tie into next episode where Benjamin Linus wants a family. And it is the most demented version of family possible, right? It's like people that are forced to be his family members. But 
coming from a guy who had a terrible family life, it makes sense that now he wants to be able to sort of create his own family. And I do think that making sure that the people on the island can reproduce and continue to build that family tree for generations and generations to come is paramount for him. Otherwise, he's dealing with, you know, a specific number of people that will eventually die out. And then what is he left with? Nobody like he was before. And so I do think while there might be just a, a power dynamic involved with, hey, give birth to more of my subjects, I do think there is a very depraved idea of familial love for Benjamin Linus of, you know, this is my family. This We're all on the commune here in Dharmaville. You talked about sort of that indoctrination with the others beforehand. I want the family to grow. I want to make sure that we are here and that my legacy is remembered for years and years to come. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's really fascinating to, to chew on all of that and think about, um, I think the idea of family and a sense of wanting to belong that, that plagues Ben, uh, and causes him to do so many of the things. I think, uh, you know, he would borrow a line from Jamie Lannister, the things we do for love. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then like take a, a, a step back and think about that really monstrous thing that you did. Uh, that's not love. You know, yeah, listen, <laughs> that's, that's not a thing. He's no member of a chorus line singing what I did for love. He's more so doing you it know. in a minor key. Um, I, I do think that the ideas, uh, of this, of this scene being, um, particularly resonant when you know the Richard Alpert journey a little bit better. Uh, and this is one of those ways in which, uh, I think like a, a Richard Alpert, forget like, you know, like on a more micro level of chronologically lost, but just like very specifically, like what does the, the Richard Alpert timeline look like strung out, mm. um, in, you know, in sequential order up to this point. I would be really compelled to look at the, at this because uh, at this moment, this is a guy who was a slave. He got brought to the island. He gets recruited to be the consigliere. Mm -hmm. um, we we see him being, uh, you know, working with Charles Widmore. Yeah, and they, up to and a they certain, essentially mount a coup to have the the others proper take over the island. You know, he's wor he's working with Charles Widmore. He as he's working with Charles Widmore, and I don't I don't think Widmore is in charge at that point. I, I, uh, yeah. he's still, I think it's like he's still a, like a kid, basically. Yeah, but, but and think, that's but when John Locke shows up. Yeah, and I think him and Ellie though are sort of part of that group, that military group that like storms the island and takes Jughead and sort of starts taking out those those quote unquote early versions of the hostiles. Yeah, so he's you know he's got like a a, a relationship there. So uh, this is now the fifties, and a man named John Locke is showing up and saying you're going to follow me someday, and then he's gonna he's gonna go, and then Locke is gonna go, and he's gonna say if you don't believe me, go to this hospital. This is where where and when I'm born, and Richard's gonna go, and he's gonna see it for himself, and then he's gonna come back a couple years later and check out the kid and be like, so is this all true? And then he's gonna be unsatisfied with the results. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all all of that is gonna be be happening and. And uh, it's all like so all of that history is in this scene with Richard and and John. And I think like there is, a you know, he's still like, I don't know that he's still a skeptic necessarily, but he's still not sure. He understands that this person is obviously extremely special because things are going to happen with him that have not happened yet, but have happened for Richard. Right. Like he knows that about Sawyer, too, because he, he meets Sawyer right. in the 70s. Um, so that's that's all very very, very much uh, not present in the writing of the scene, probably necessarily, uh, but very much present in the in the the relitigation of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, not um, only that, you know, Richard has a very meaningful line. We haven't been formally introduced. And to the point, I think it's a fun tongue in cheek thing of like, well, actually, they have. But I do think to your point, I think this is Richard meeting John Locke for who he is. 
because the two other times he was this rando guy who came out in the 50s and he was like this little baby and little kid who Richard wasn't too confident in. And I think this is the first time that Richard sees John Locke for the man that he assumes he is going to become. And so I do think that introduction actually is quite literal in that he has not really been introduced to John Locke until this moment. And I think one of the uh, the reasons it's one of the tragedies of of Richard Alpert is he's he spends a large swath of his of his life kind of just like waiting for things to happen and waiting for life to happen and kind of like not even um, analyzing the possibility that like escape from the island is mm-hmm. something that he can do. Yeah, he can leave clearly because he leaves a bunch, but he's still under the employ of the island. He can't have a life beyond it. Um and, you know, he's here in this moment where he thinks like, well, maybe this will all be worth it because, yeah, John Locke's a candidate. Jacob and, you know, and Richard in probably one of their coffee sessions like, oh, yeah, no, that guy's a candidate for sure. You know, he could be he could be a, he could be a guy here. Uh, so, like, he knows he's special. He knows he's on Jacob's radar. Uh, and so he probably prides himself in this moment of like he's helping to push Locke towards the things that he knows are going to happen with Locke because he's going to hop through time. He sees all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, he's going to be pushing some of that stuff into practice in season five when the paradox happens with the compass, mm. right? Uh, when he when he goes on, quote unquote, Locke's orders to go and talk to John Locke. Um, and he's going to be very confused about it, but he thinks like this is all part of it. Like it's all happening. And that's why he just like goes so crazy uh, <laughs> and it's just like grief stricken and like driven literally insane and suicidal when he comes to realize that this was all uh the guy who the first person he ever met on this island uh the malevolence the 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 red wine in the bottle right. is it has been has been messing the with man him who this tried whole, to recruit him to his side first before jacob so in this scene, he's endeavoring to do something really good, but it's actually really tragic what's happening here. Yeah, because he's essentially like guaranteeing that, you know, this thing will, will come back yes. in a certain manner of speaking. So sort yes. of like last week, like the, the decision that it'll come back around. Exactly. The, the decision that you think is is made for the good actually ends up turning out for the bad, which, again, speaks to the point you made at the very beginning of you think you may be making decisions to quash down the bad stuff that might happen. But sometimes there's a path that you just can't stray from. Um, all right, so back at the Black Rock, Sawyer's going to ungag Cooper. Uh, this is what we heard at the start of the episode. I'm pointing my gun at you, John boy. Uh, and uh, Locke was like, yeah, but then why did you have a knife to my throat? And Sawyer's like, ah, yeah, you're oh, right. Oh, it got me again. Um, so we're going to get to, to Sawyer and Anthony Cooper uh, <sighs> finally talking. And um, we're going to listen to the whole thing. Uh, from the moment that they start speaking here all the way to the commercial break for the first part of Sawyer versus Sawyer. Guess I didn't raise no dummies. What the hell's that mean? Means that ball-headed bastard outside the door is my son. Come again? My son. As in I'm his father. You do speak English. How did you get here? To the island. Island? (laughs) Okay. I'm driving down I-10 through Tallahassee when, bam, somebody slams in the back of my car. I go right into the divider at 70 miles an hour. The next thing I know, the paramedics are strapping me to a gurney, stuffing me in the back of an ambulance, and one of them actually smiles at me as he pops the IV in my arm. And then, nothing. Just black 
And the next thing I know, I wake up in a dark room, tied up, gag in my mouth. And when the door opens, I'm looking up at the same man I threw out a window. John Locke. My dead son. He's dead because you threw him out a window. No, he survived that. But it paralyzed him permanently. He's dead because the plane he was flying on crashed in the Pacific. Well, I got bad news for you, Pops. Because I was on that plane with your son. He sure as hell wasn't crippled. And we didn't crash in the Pacific. We crashed here on this island. You sure it's an island? Well, what else is it? Little hot for heaven, isn't it? Oh, okay. So we're dead. They found your plane on the bottom of the ocean. One minute I'm in a car wreck, and the next minute I'm in a pirate ship in the middle of the jungle. If this isn't hell, friend, then where are we? Why did you throw Locke out a window? He was becoming a nuisance. I conned him into giving me one of his kidneys. He never got over it. Conned? Yes, sir. Conned. What's your name? Bond man goes by many names, friend. I've been Alan Seward, Anthony Cooper, Ted McLaren, Tom Sawyer, Lewis Jackson, Paul. Tom Sawyer. I was young and Huck Finn was taken. <laughs> and the ladies loved that one. Made me charming. How about that? How about what? So here's my name, too. So, Josh, is it is it just me? This might be... I, I might be, like, Mandela affecting myself. Has Kevin Taiyi ever had, like, a southern affect to his I know. Voice? This happens to me all the time. I always mean to clock it, and, like, I, I can't, like... I I think like some sometimes I watch this episode and I think that oh my god he's slipping into a southern accent that he never had before and this is the real Anthony Cooper or whoever he is he himself a shapeshifter right right like he he's not the smoke monster but this dude's a shapeshifter or, you don't know who he really or is or it could be instead a mirroring tactic which is probably easily used by con men too right he sees like this guy with mm-hmm. this Alabama accent and right. it's like oh yeah I guess I'm a southern gentleman as well. Um, but I, but sometimes I don't know when he's like, when I'm watching it, like there have been times where I've watched where it's like, oh, the Southern drawl isn't really there. Uh, and then I, I hear it or I watch it and it's like, it's like a Laurel Yanni yeah. thing where well, like sometimes I see it and sometimes I don't. I think particularly whether it comes and goes, the one where I really hear it is Tom Sawyer. Like, yeah. And I also, uh, it's coming up when, he, when, uh, uh, when he's, uh, when he goes, Mary, I remember her is how I is how I always hear it, whether or not that's what he's saying. Um, this scene is awesome and terrifying. Oh. Um, he is because I, I think that this is this is um, 
This was this is the most evil, like the most evil person on the show up to this point. Far and away. Um, there's been nothing redeemable about this guy. So what's about to happen is we're killing that guy. This guy's about to get killed off. And I think it, it goes back to that, that idea of like you can kill the boogeyman, but there's another boogeyman waiting around the corner. You can kill a demon, but it's whack a demon. You know, like it's it's still it, you know, you're not you're not exercising all of the demons from this house. There's still poultry there's gonna be poltergeists too. Um and and I it's the first time that I've that I've ever like in this moment here in the depths of the Black Rock in one of the the most mysterious parts of the island. One of the most significant pieces of mythology is getting wrapped up here. Um, this idea of of Anthony Cooper as a smoke monster of sorts, yeah. as a as a, as a shapeshifter in his own right. Uh, that that John Locke is not going to become the thing he hates the most, but the image of John Locke is going to become uh, the next evil shapeshifter right on on this show is is really 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 powerful um and just the transformation on sawyer of realizing what the hell is going on here what it is that he's recognizing in this man of like con what do you oh what's your name and the Tom Sawyer oh. and him putting two and two together and just like feeling yeah, it in the, that the, moment. Of like, the, the cinematography in particular, like they do a big close in on Sawyer's face. And I would say from here on out, Josh Holloway, I don't think I can catch a shot in the next part of this episode where he is blinking at all. And so yeah. Sawyer is just, he can't even let his eyes off this man for a moment because it's finally coming together. This is the one who he's been hunting after for so long. You don't need a Sawyer flashback in this episode. It's, it's in front of him. It's in front of him. It's, it's, it's right there. It's, it's, this is a ghost story. Uh, you know, this is, and like the way in which Sawyer has been haunted his entire life. The flashbacks on this man's face. Yeah. The history is there. Exactly. I mean, and we already know it, so we don't really have any other information. Uh, I do love the term bald-headed bastard. That's just a fantastic short uh, term for Locke. So let's talk about the, the Tallahassee wreck here, because we spoke about it a bit with Edmund Burke back in Not in Portland. Is yeah. our assumption that the others caused yes. the crash? And I would say, yeah, I would I, say it so. doesn't time out, but the paramedic that that uh, Anthony Cooper speaking about sounds so much like Ethan, but unfortunately it I know can't be. it does. Yeah. I don't think it's him, but it does sound like him. Um, but I, I think, I think for sure. Uh, I think again, like when, when Ben's like, I don't know how he got here. Uh, you know, you brought him here, John. No, they went and they were like, Oh, John locks here. And we're, we're going to need to manipulate that guy. Uh, go get his dad. <laughs> you know, like it's that simple. That's yeah, what interesting. Happened. Pretty ballsy call for, uh, you know, Anthony Cooper once had to leave Tallahassee because he threw his son out a window and probably killed the guy. But a few years later, it's like, I think I could go back there. I think the heat's cooled down enough that I can go stake up another claim. Um, so there, you know, there is, uh, it's really no surprise to me that like, uh, you know, uh, the smoke monster is going to ultimately become known as the man in black, uh, very Stephen Kingian that there is the man in black in the dark tower mm-hmm. who goes by the name Randall flag, who is also the, the villain of the stand. Um, and this idea that Stephen King is like working something out, uh, with this character who's existing across so many of his stories. And I think like this idea is existing here on lost as well. And like a big version of it is happening with Cooper, this idea of just like this force of evil, uh, this force of evil that is more elemental than, than man. Um, and that, yeah, you can kill, you know, it's, it's like, um, 
it really is like possession to a certain degree. Uh, gosh, what's that Denzel Washington movie, Fallen, mm. um, where there's like the, 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 the angel of darkness that is like hopping around from person to person and time is on your side. Yes, it is. Uh, and I think like there's, there are ideas of that in play here with Anthony Cooper being someone who's just like, such a force of malevolence, like even like beyond Stephen King type stuff, uh, like think like Anton Chigurh, yeah, exactly. you know, just like, you know, this force of, of, of nastiness and terrible tidings. That is somehow uh, able to evade recompense at any turn. But yeah, and like, but and like it is, is it to, to this idea of this is how this man is acting in the pits of hell. Yeah. If he believes that he's here like this, like I don't give a shit. Uh, idea of 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 awful. I mean, think about um, you know to to turn it to like modern events. Think about some of the people who are uh, you know perpetrating some of like the worst evils on our world today. Who then like come down with COVID, mm-hmm. uh, who are like denying its existence and then are just being like awful about it, even in the wake of contracting the illness. Um, like this is that's what this is like. This is the this is the the guy who's who knows who believes he knows he's in hell and yet is still acting this way. It's 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 despicable. It's, so, it's, it's disgusting. so funny because it's essentially like a bad version of a Christmas carol. Right? Like this is yeah. this is Scrooge waking up on Christmas morning and being like I'm fine. Burn down the orphanage. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. And, I did that. Yeah, and so, okay. I mean, what now? I still got my money. And then, like, I'm, okay, so I'm so I'm gonna die alone. Oh well. Exactly. I've lived a good life. Uh, but to that point, you just put this idea in my head, Josh, talking about Stephen King malevolent forces shape shifting. Josh, is Anthony Cooper Pennywise the clown? <laughs> but I mean, like that's that's sort of what's going on. Yeah, here, it's this, this right? ability that he is able to take form of fear in so many regards, permanently scar people's lives, like a Sawyer, for example, who got like his life torn apart by this person. But he just moves on because that's just more stuff that he can feast upon. Like it really is in that regard. I mean, he was sort of standing in the sewer, coercing little Johnny Locke to it so he could take prey upon right. him and take his kidney. Right. Uh, and, and I think like that, that speaks to this idea of him going back to Tallahassee. Cause what are they going to do? Yeah, exactly. What are they going to do? They're not going to, maybe, maybe it is. And if they do whatever, maybe it is like Pennywise, like he has to return every like 17 years or so to Tallahassee. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but I, I think that there's, you know, uh, you know, there, because, uh, we want to like, I don't know. We want to like humanize everybody and we want to believe that everybody is complicated and everybody has their reason for being the way that they are. So even like a villain needs to have like that three dimensional quality of why they are the way that they are. Sometimes evil is just evil. Yeah. Sometimes something is just awful. Sometimes someone is just awful. Uh, and I think Anthony Cooper is a tremendous ambassador of this idea. Uh, not alone in this idea. And I think maybe one of the reasons why if the man in black and the smoke monster fails for people in the, in the final balance of this show, it's because maybe it's that attempt to humanize the man in Mm. black. Um, I think we can, we can explore that when we get there further on, but they never attempt to do that with Anthony Cooper. I think it is an astoundingly wise choice because it, um, there is there there is there's a reason why this this episode is so great but these scenes in the brig specifically are some of the best on lost is cuz it's it's very human and yet while they are talking about heaven and hell even if that's not where they are there is instantly this very mythical biblical quality to this stuff right uh that is represented in this utterly 
unforgiving, unapologetic, irredeemable man <laughs> against somebody who believes himself to be irredeemable and is wildly wrong about his own self. Yeah, that's the thing as well, is this is really an epiphany for Sawyer in so many ways, obviously, but I think one of the more subtextual ones is that Sawyer's saying, you know, I'm beating myself up, saying I, ne- I need to become the person who did all this. This is the guy. I don't think I want to be him. Uh, look, look right. you know, maybe if I had stayed off the island, this is who I could have become. I'm already beating myself up for what I did off island. Like, imagine how much worse it could get. Yeah. And I think that a lot of this is like the adrenaline stuff. I mean, like, think about what's about to happen. He's not thinking about any of this stuff yet. No. It may be what he ends up, you know, chewing on and marinating on and meditating on a little bit as, as he moves on from here. But right now... He thinks that he has just been offered up the opportunity to fix everything, and it's not going to go exactly the way that he wants it to go. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, uh, there's the other flashback of the episode. The final flashback is uh, is is Locke with Ben, and they're leaving. Yeah, and I, and and they're like, if you're trying to put me in my place, he's like, oh, why would you think that, John? And it's fun because, uh, you know, this is something you think that Locke was put in this exclusive club and left behind, right? Of like, they left Saeed and Kate and Jack and Juliet behind, and Locke got to be part of this club. But no, it turns out that Ben just, you know, discards him him like he did the rest of them basically telling him like you're no more special than the people that you left behind even and he even gets to parrot john Locke's own line back which i can't tell if that's purposeful like i know ben has a lot of intel on john Locke, but i don't think he knows his catchphrase yeah i don't think so either uh or maybe he does because if he knows about the walkabout maybe they you know troyzan was under their employ uh or like maybe they were able to interview troyzan troyzan's like yeah this guy was crazy he kept just like shouting at me in my office don't tell me could, what i can and can't troyzan be an aoj <laughs> yeah he could be he could be or at least like the aoj's interviewed him yeah exactly like, maybe aoj's just like hey what what what, what was up with that guy they, they started doing like profiling like everyone who john Locke has come in contact with like they talk with eddie from the commune they talk with helen i don't think uh yeah i don't think it's totally unreasonable to think that some of the uh the aojs uh had eyes on the 815ers in the lead up to the crash right, well, you know like just like surveying them from a distance so, or even or even um, once it happens beforehand right like you know as as ben we sort of see this in one of us where ben asked Mikhail to start getting files on them they could they could possibly send, get some boots on the ground to do some research while this is going on of like all right let's see what john Locke was doing right before this let's see what Sawyer was doing oh he got he did get arrested for a headbutt the minister right. of agriculture but i hear before that he shot a nice man on a shrimp truck let's talk more about that yeah exactly exactly uh, so ben's gonna tell Locke, uh uh we'll leave a trail but don't bother following us unless you've got your your father's body on your back and Locke's like noted uh <laughs> let's close this out let's go back to the brig uh, without further ado sawyer versus sawyer uh final round what's the matter with you you ever been to jasper alabama why? Have you or haven't you? Yeah, I've been to Jasper. Don't tell me I'm your daddy. No. You killed my daddy. Dear Mr. Sawyer, 
What is this? Just read it. You don't know who I am, but I know who you are. And I know what you've done. You had sex with my mother. And then you stole my dad's money all the way. So he got angry and he killed my mother. And then he killed himself. Blah, 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 blah. So what? Is this supposed to be you? You wrote this letter? Hey, wait a second. Did you take my name because you were on some kind of revenge kick? Keep breathing. Easy, easy. <laughs> Don't get all worked up. Look, I ran that con two dozen times. If your mother was one of the... Larry. Her name was Mary. Mary from Jasper, Alabama. Yeah. I remember her. She practically begged me to take her $38,000 and to rescue her from her sorry little life. You finished the letter. Look, I only took her money. It ain't my fault your dad overreacted. If he pulled the old murder-suicide, then I'm sure he's down here somewhere. Uh, maybe you could take this up with him? Finish it! Yeah, and we're going to cut yeah. the clip there because it's just a lot of choking and strangulation at this point forward. But it is, uh, it is, it is. Uh, also, I'm thinking for the very first time, Mike, as we're talking this through, that John Locke will die the exact same way that his father yeah. does. I, I think that is just so incredibly apt that it happens. And also, just the symbology of being strangled as well. Anthony Cooper is somebody who not only uh, loves to use that throat to gild that silver tongue, but also uh, he has had a stranglehold literally over two of these men's lives. And also I then find it interesting that he is killed with chains from a slave boat, considering that, again, yeah. Sawyer and Locke were both slaves of, to, this yeah, man. to this man. Exactly. So I think it's, it's very pertinent. But I love that really great call out on your part that this is also John Locke is going to be someone who also sort of loses his voice. He gets cut off from the world and being cut off from his air supply. Um, my God. Uh, it, it, you're, it, it, have you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? You know, like that's what's happened. This is like it, it is just darkness, malevolence. Um, there is something ancient in here. Uh, and it's just it's channeled through this awful, awful man, and it's cosmic, and it's so messed up. Um, it's it. yeah, dude. This is this is it's, fight me. This is one of the very best episodes of anything, let alone Lost. I, I you know, th- this is the most fun I've had talking about the like the themes of the show. Yeah, in a very long time, maybe ever. Well, I, I, uh, I th- like it's just it's so rich. It's so rich. I think this is probably one of the most satisfying scenes in Lost that we yes. get because again, th- because, because it's not. But but satisfying is such a is such a is such a choice of a word because I think you're right, but it's not satisfying for the for the reason. Yeah, oh yeah, you nobody think. nobody is hooting and hollering. Ooh, Anthony Cooper's dead. Good job, Sawyer. Because there's some darkness to there of like 
He did yes. Look where he went. He broke bad in a manner of speaking. He did what he swore he would never do again, and he was pushed to do so. But I think this is, from a plot perspective, extremely satisfying because this is a thread that has been out there, Josh, since the eighth episode of the show back in the fall yeah. of 2004. This thing was out there. And what I love about it is even when, again, going back to that comment like, oh, it's predictable, this ending is not. To have, again, you would think that that, that Cooper would have this, this Scroogey moment where he writes, like, oh my god, what have I done? He says, blah, 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 shrugs off what Sawyer... Tears the letter up because, like, he doesn't care. If I'm already dead, send me down to the next level of hell. Yeah, exactly. But this is stuff that Sawyer has poured over and has, has essentially become his own contract for life forever. Yes. And actually, in Anthony Cooper tearing up that contract, that causes Sawyer to sort of break free from it. In a way. So he yeah. almost like signs his own death warrant from that piece. But for to Cooper, have Cooper shrug this off. Again, like you said, this is not what Sawyer thought it would be. He thought it would be he reads the thing Indigo Montoya style and then you yeah. know he gets him groveling at his face. I want my father back, you son of a it, bitch. He doesn't get exactly, that. Exactly. But instead Cooper's like, Oh yeah, you know, you're one of many that this has been done to. Oh, I'm really sorry, gives the most like pithy of apologies ever. And then he's he shrugs off his dad, saying his dad, quote unquote, overreacted by doing a murder suicide and and ruining Sawyer's life. And then on top of that, he tears off this tears up this representation of his past that causes Sawyer to to go aggro. And then there's a beautiful musical moment where obviously, you know, once Cooper's done, Locke walks in and in comes our old friend locked out again, the deus ex machina music. And it's just a brilliant callback to like. The, this almost soaring sense, yet soaring yet sad, I think is an interesting way to describe this scene, where this is Sawyer getting a monkey off his back that has been there for his entire life, but at what cost? Yeah, but I like, did he, right? Yeah. You know, and I think like that, that's the thing is like, I think for Locke, he did. I think he got that off of Locke at this moment. Um, and I think Locke will be blindsided by the fact that there are other monkeys to crawl upon his <laughs> yeah, back. You think there's just one monkey? There's a whole it bunch of them. Yeah, there's a whole army out there. Uh, and I think that Sawyer is going to, to feel the, the depths of this lesson sooner um, of what I thought I always wanted is not good for me at all. It's not good for this was bad. Yeah. This was very, very bad. I gotta I gotta go puke my guts <laughs> up because this was awful. And there's something about um, Josh Holloway's performance. The musicality of it is so unique. And you hear it in these past couple clips, especially when he comes to the realization. Sawyer and Cooper as well, this is sort of how he unintentionally got it. Like the Conman musicality is so legato. It's so smooth where you just sort of stay on one thing. There's no real pops. You just talk through your sentences because you're really trying to convince everyone that you're you're a natural, easygoing person. So they'll do whatever you want them to do. But with a capital T that rhymes with P that stands. Exactly. And I'll die on that Herald Hill. But I think that Sawyer in the brig, he is short. He is gruff. He is blunt and he is percussive. With all the things, the read it, like just the way he is yeah. barking stuff. Finish out. it, finish yeah, it. Yeah, it is so finish it. It's so distinct, exactly to the to the <laughs> rhythm. I, I mean, do you think Sawyer uh, in a different universe throws Anthony Cooper no. over a, a rail <laughs> down a pit? Yeah. Um, Godspeed, Anthony Cooper. And then Anthony Cooper's grandchild pops <laughs> uh, up several years down the line. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think that right. I, I, it's such a different tone and a rhythm to this character that again, you could tell he has been thrown off rhythm here, and the line. I've been to Jasper. Don't tell me I'm your daddy. Anthony Cooper, you are his father more than you think he is. Because, again, I, I would say that this man determined the course of Sawyer's life more so than his own father did. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. I think also like the music connecting back to Locke. Yeah. Uh, once again shows uh, that's that's a way to like emotionally, musically, thematically, just on a vibe wavelength link what just happened back to John. Um, that yeah, this flash, you know, the flashback is on on Locke, but but shouldn't it have been on Sawyer because Sawyer's the guy who killed Cooper. Um, he was. This was an assist. This was, you know, mm-hmm. this was this was Locke just killed his father. Locke used this man. He sat patiently, listened to the whole thing, and walks in and sees the body on the floor and thanks Sawyer for. Uh, it, it's like thanking a gun for firing a bullet. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, and and I think as well that. I love the use of this music that, again, really prominently and perfectly comes up at the end of Deus Ex Machina because this is the full circle moment, right? Ever since then, Locke, you know, got duped by this man that he let into his life. And ever since then, he has been searching for his own sort of form of, I think, at least emotional reconciliation. I don't think he's going to be like, I'm out to kill my father, but he just wanted to know why. And then once he wasn't given that answer of why, he was just adamant on making sure that this man did not cause any more misery in anyone else's life. And this is an opportunity for him to revisit that John Locke with hair, crying, banging on his Volkswagen bug and being like, it did get better. I'm, you know, you'll, you'll become a better person because of this. It's finally over. And to your point, the tragedy is it's just getting started for John Locke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just getting started like post-show recaps. Uh, And it's great and it's great and it's excellent. And just like the, um, oh, Mary, uh, Mary from Jasper. I remember her. Like, I heard it again. Yep. Uh, it's so evil. Also, I know there's the continuity gap. I forget what uh, Sawyer's mother's name was once upon a time, but it wasn't Mary. They changed maybe her, that. Maybe, her, maybe uh, his mom was a con woman, too. I don't know. Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter when you're in the face of this. Uh, Josh Holloway, an exceptional actor. Yeah. Uh, Terry O'Quinn, an exceptional actor. Kevin Ty, an exceptional actor. This is exceptionally directed. This is exceptionally written. It's exceptionally scored. It is so satisfying narratively. Um, and just as much as like we are, you know, we're, we're approaching the end of act one, right? If we keep talking, you know, at least I keep talking about Lost, like it's two mm-hmm. books, it's two acts. It's, it's before the flash forward and it's after the flash forward. And we're barreling towards that conclusion. It makes sense that a chief antagonist of that first book is dead here um and it makes uh it it just makes it all the more powerful and urgent as we're moving forward to where we are in the show right now and it just leaves us with so many powerful dark uh uh huge questions about what it means to be alive what it means to be angry what anger can do for you um what anger does to you it's huge the the ramifications of this. So that's why that's why I feel like it's satisfying. It's satisfying because it is so bitterly unsatisfying mm, for Sawyer. I love that. Yeah, that's pure poetry. And I would love to hear from people as well. The first time they were watching this episode, did they think Anthony Cooper was going to die? Because I wonder if that's a thing as well, as to, you know, was this particularly shocking? To your point, up to up to this stage. Ben was probably, like, obviously the biggest bad, most immediate bad, but someone like Anthony Cooper had been such a huge nemesis over the course of flashbacks. Bringing him onto the island, do you think he had a limited lifespan, or could there have been a chance of bringing 
you know, like you said, like the big act one, uh, somewhere like when you play a video game, right? And you face off with a boss halfway through and you're like, okay, now what happens? Oh, there was a much bigger guy puppeteering this guy the entire time. We're going to have to face them now. That's sort of what right. happens here. Yeah. Um, all right. Oh, God. So let's, let's dig um, in. Let's, that, let, we're digging into it like a nice uh, weird meat patty that Juliet and Jack are eating in the next scene. Yeah. So they're like eating some like sausage like some boar sausage. Yeah, I, I don't know. know like I don't, I don't know if this was like leftover like charcuterie, yeah, like Dharma <laughs> supply, like of egg McMuffin yeah. patties. Yeah, it's the Dharma charcuterie board that they're eating. They miss the burgers. Uh, Kate shows up. She's like, "Hey, can I talk to you?" And Jack's like, "Yeah, but Juliet has to be here." And Kate's like, "I don't think that's such a great idea." And Juliet's like, "Yeah, I don't either." And Jack's like, "Anything you want to say to me?" You yeah, say and, it, it, and Kate's it, like, "All right, well, let me tell you all this stuff that she shouldn't hear." And so, in this point, so Juliet has told Jack, right? So this is why Jack has like the anything you can say in front of me, you can say in front of her, because like they're in, officially in league together to take down the others. Yeah, I think so at this point. And I think that that also is in service of if there's like a bit of a time jump post DOC at this point makes a lot of sense to me um, that uh, they have uh, they've talked things through a little bit more. She's like, yeah, this has been happening. I'm, I don't want to be any part of it. And also, I think maybe we have an opportunity to just wipe out the other. Right OK, now. great. Like, OK, cool. Send that, send that tape recorder two days back in time and then we'll move forward yeah, from there. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh you know, he's asking her a bunch of questions like, why didn't tell anyone tell me? And he said, no one trusts you, man. He's like, why? Because you're talking to her all the time. Yeah, and also, and also uh, when I come in, you say things like you could say what you want to say to me in front of yeah, her. Like, no one trusts you, man. You're just so sketch. You're so yeah. sus right now. I'm glad that I'm glad uh, that someone brings up. Granted, you know, again, Kate immediately spilling the details. If Juliet was indeed still with the others, not a great look. But I'm glad somebody finally tells Jack. Like he, Jack, you're super sus right yeah, like now. He, it, nobody's know? tiptoeing. You're definitely the imposter. Yeah. No, I didn't know. I was doing my stuff in electrical. I didn't know. <laughs> I was uh, Juliet saw me doing my visual task we in followed, storage. Yeah, we followed each other around. I don't around. trust Juliet either. I think she's sus too. I have a lot of problems swiping the cards. You know that. <laughs> I was yanking the chains in Hydra. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh you know uh, what? Listen, Among Us. If you can somehow get an Among Us Lost crossover where all the rooms are Dharma stations, I think that, I think that needs it. to happen. We're very here for it. Anyway, so Juliet's like, how about we tell her? And Jack's like, no. Nah. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's the thing as well. So here's, so here's the thing is that I think in retrospect, uh, and, you know, I'm going to say this more officially when it finally, this finally comes to an end uh, as soon as next episode. I think if there's one thing that is not particularly working for me in this last batch of episodes, it's the whole like, can we or can we not trust Jack? Arc. Like you said, I understand how in the moment sure. it was very invigorating of like, yeah, we really don't know when to trust him. But now that we know we can, it just sometimes it feels like moments like this where it's like, all right, we're doing this just for the sake of that, that this doesn't feel necessarily that sub- uh, substantial. I, I hear that, and I mostly agree, and it, to play uh, Cooper's advocate, <laughs> uh, to, to rebrand it, um, I, would, I would say that um, this idea of like feeling alienated from Jack also helps us to feel alienated from a potential Jack in the past who was like such a wreck that he could have been doing all the things that he ends up doing in the future. But as a flashback, it's, it's an interesting right? point. Like I think, yeah, I think may- maybe it helps to bolster the the surprise of through the looking glass. But it's it's to that it's to that idea that we were talking about earlier of like, but how does that play in terms of rewatchability? And I will concede the point that a, a, a lot of the Jack stuff in season three is really for first watch yeah. uh, and maybe is uh, a little bit dulled on watch number two. And it's actually kind of similar to 
Ah, uh, never mind. I was going to go down a point with Jack Bauer. We don't need to talk about Jack Bauer. Let's, let's talk yeah, about one, yeah, jacket. one One jacket at a time. That's my new show yeah. that's coming to network soon. Yeah, it's going to be canceled, uh, <laughs> sadly, after multiple attempts to save its life. Um, let's close this thing out. Let's go to the end. Uh, uh, James has just come out of the Black Rock, puked his guts out. Uh, new guy's in the back, puking his guts out. <laughs> Sawyer throws up, uh, and John Locke is going to come up to him, and uh, we, will, we will ride this thing out. You can go back now. Why did you do this? He ruined my life. And you ruined yours. And he had it coming. Juliet is a mole. What? She's working for Ben. He sent her back to find out which of our women were pregnant. Three days from now, there's going to be a raid on the beach and they're going to take them. They say they don't want anyone to get hurt. Why are you telling me that? So you can warn the camp. You warn the camp. I'm not going back. You're going back undercover. No, I was never undercover, James. I'm on my own journey now. Even if Juliet is a mole, they ain't gonna believe me. I've been saying that since she showed up. They'll believe you now. Hey. Is it true? Is what true? That he threw you out a window. That you are a cripple. Not anymore. is the best episode of lost don't ask me <laughs> well knowing your history of don't at me it's gonna end up becoming a thing later down the line of like well you can't you made this claim now oh wait it actually turns out to be a thing in the future the brig is the best episode of lost do not at me um i, I hyper hyperbolic obviously but like there is this is such a this is an immaculately crafted episode yeah. John Locke was immaculately conceived, <laughs> maybe not, but this this was an immaculately crafted. I don't know. Just episode. ask Susie Kurtz; she would tell you this that happened. The you know we've talked so much about Sawyer. I don't know what more there is to say. A lot of the stuff we've talked about is very present in that final conversation. But this is all about yeah, I would say John that this Locke. Is, no, this is this is Locke. The, the past two scenes were about Sawyer. This is about Locke, and I think just to look at Locke's new attitude about this scene, about this his his life, just two words: not anymore.
That that's yeah. all. That's all it is because it's not anymore. Not of like, anymore. This man will rule my life. Not anymore. Locke. I mean, it's very meaningful whenever Locke in the past told someone about his condition and him coming clean to Sawyer about it is maybe not necessarily meaning like, oh, I'm bringing you into this inner circle, but I think more so him being like. I'm no longer that guy who was in the wheelchair. I don't give a lick if people know about about that from me because I'm not that person anymore. I'm now John yeah. Locke. Um, very telling that the final uh, the final movement of this episode is John Locke with Crocodile Locke playing underneath. Um, you know, which is like classic badass yeah, which, John which Locke, I believe mysterious to, to Jim Fell's point I believe the last time we actually heard that song was all the way back in Deus Ex Machina so it's a great symbol of how previously then he was very much driven in, in his journey whatever he thought that was and it took all this time to bring him back to that point Crocodile Lock instead of like uh, what's the theme that's playing underneath him in, in Deus Ex Machina locked out, locked out we, again you know and so like we've we've come a long way from that uh, you know, a lot of these powerful Lost episodes end with that, like, mournful, raging, why have you done this to me aesthetic, right? And so this is, this is John Locke with, that, with that, uh, that mystical music playing underneath him, a John Locke with purpose, a John Locke who is driven, a John Locke who is all about the future, who is not thinking about the past anymore, literally picking up his dead father who broke his back onto his back and moving forward with the weight of the world off his shoulders. It is exceptional for all of those reasons. It is also incredibly effective uh, in in making you think that Locke is now like on this unbeatable journey mm-hmm. uh, so that you, much like he, are broadsided when he gets shot by Ben at the end of the very next episode and left for dead. And it is, it is the exact, you know, uh, summary of this idea of like, you don't just beat a final boss and it's over. You know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, things are more complicated than that. Um, yeah, but it's, it's just, it's, it's exceptional. And I think in the ways that this is an episode where uh, tragedy has just powerfully struck for Sawyer, um, tragedy has struck for John Locke as well in many ways. Let's be honest, but it's he doesn't. He does not read it that way. And for him, there is a there is a world in which this is just like nothing but triumph. Yeah, and I think that it's also the another thing to take away from this scene as well is you know Locke giving Sawyer the tape recorder. Maybe we'll talk elsewhere about where exactly he got that, that time traveling tape recorder. But he essentially puts himself out to Sawyer now as a free agent. Uh, he's not yes. infiltrating the others. He's not a spy. He's not a mole. Uh, he- I'm on my own journey now, and I do love that. Juliet is a mole. Yeah, and I, I think that, again, giving that fantastic the Terry Quinn like, deep O sound uh, yeah. like he does so prominently. But, moles, boars, and moles. But this is going to inform a lot of John Locke as well. Like He's definitely going to help people in season five, for instance. He's, he's going to help the, the group sort of navigate through time travel. But here on out, Locke is going to become the person he was all the way back in Walkabout, the mysterious man who sort of played by his own rules. He has now become that person again. He's finally become the person that he's, he put himself forward as all the way back in, in Walkabout. And I think that's extremely meaningful. Granted, he is going to become much more of a, of a rival with Jack in season four, considering they're going to have opposite values in mind. But right now, John Locke has essentially said goodbye to 815. He's like, that part of my life is done, including those people. I am ready to shed my skin 
walk out into the jungle, hopefully join back with the others again and become that special person they want me to be. But for now, I am done eating boar and hunting boar on a beach. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, it's just it's awesome. And I think for for me as like a John Locke stan who loves this character warts and all, uh, I think that this is just it's it's really a rewarding ending, but just an endlessly rewarding episode. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's value has only increased in my estimation talking it through yeah. and it was already sky high finishing the episode. The I agree because I think that in retrospect you come in like oh this is a big episode obviously the Anthony Cooper revelation happens and then Anthony Cooper dies but there is so much two and a half hours podcast content worth baked into the thematic structure the character stuff that it is so much of a richer episode even beyond its twist that I think even if you come in knowing what's going to happen it is an excellently crafted and incredibly well-performed episode i mean the stuff in the black rock is almost like its own you know sartre-esque play or like a, a no exit or a waiting for godot just with a with a darker ending of these three characters with very separate motivations and psychologies interacting with one another it's an episode that also like takes some time to stop down and not stop down in a way of like a catch-22 or a doc might because stuff still happens but it stops down to to bring us back to these characters that have been missing for some time it's just I had, I had such an incredible time, and I think this is going to be the the not the kickstart that we needed because again, I think we had fun with the previous few episodes, but this is something that raises season three to a whole new level. We're activated right yeah. now, Mike. We're activated in a very big way. Let's let's uh, cut to some feedback here uh, quickly before we start wrapping things up. Uh, the great Riley Wigmore writes in and says, uh, "I was afraid when I watched Sawyer kill Locke's father for the first time that it was going to go down a generic route of Sawyer killed." Even if it was a bad person in an emotionally charged moment, there's no going back from killing. He's bad again. I absolutely love how his moment plays for Sawyer as a character and how it wraps up this part of his story and allows him to move forward from here. And even if it does affect him as a character, he doesn't regress. It happens and then he moves on and continues on his character journey and his redemption Yeah, arc. I mean, hopefully my headcanon is that they looked at what they did with Charlie in season two and said, let's not do that again. To Riley's point, you can... You can go back in a manner of speaking, but you can use that as a learning experience to move forward rather than sort of like bringing a character back to a really dark place, a really unsavory place, and then really doing nothing with it, almost like forgiving it and moving on, realizing it was a mistake. Like you said, this is going to profoundly, I mean, Sawyer and Through the Looking Glass, for example, is kind of a broken and distracted man still, but knowing what he does become, this has to be a seminal point to getting to LaFleur. I think that uh, a, a way in which to view it is like um, a recovering addict who feeds their addiction and then comes out on the other side of it being like, what did I just do? Mm. Oh, God, I just broke my streak or or whatever. Um, and I think that the way that he carries this forward as he continues as a character is like uh, like a lot of shame over what just happened, a lot of like a lot of emotion over what just happened, a lot of feeling like an inability to like share what just yeah. happened with anybody again. So a loneliness that comes with it. Um, and I think that those are the ways that, like, I wouldn't call it regression necessarily. I th I think that it's um, th like, I think that a lot of progress and positive change comes out from, from what's happened here. Um, but I think it's like a very shameful moment for him in a way that like he knows, like he feels it. He feels it very, in a very like 
lonely way, but I think that he feels that pain. Uh, uh, and it's not just because he has not yet. <laughs> I, I want to talk actually briefly about Sora because I know that <laughs> I want to talk about that real. Yeah, quick. but yeah. the Ben behind the curtain uh, has actually other number one. Speaking of P, uh, so apparently because there's there's a feature I think on the season three DVD called like Lost in a Day where they sort of track through the production process of an episode, and basically Lindelof originally described the concept uh, for a scene in which Sawyer gets to confront quote unquote the real Sawyer. Obviously a bit different from the brig. In this case, it takes uh, place in a well, which John Locke will find himself down a couple seasons from now. And apparently Sawyer would meet Anthony Cooper and Richard Malkin. Uh, and Sawyer will, he'll say like he recalls Malkin from somewhere, which might indicate that actually Malkin was the real Sawyer. Obviously, Trash. yeah, this was the, the, the much better episode. But thinking about the initial draft of it, it, it's fun to see how we went from Sawyer and Richard Malkin down a well to the brig. You guys can do better with Richard Malkin. You could try. Uh, you could at least try. Uh, this was not good. That would have been yeah, It would have been I'm an interesting sort of rule of threes with Malkin, though, right? Because he shows up in Raised by Another, shows up in uh, an Echoes episode, and then doesn't really come back. Yeah, I'm glad that he didn't come back here. I would have liked for them to figure it out, but I'm glad he didn't come out here. Uh, that would be... Ooh. <laughs> would be really bad um from uh, riley's rival stefan stefan johnson writes in why does ben bring Locke at all if he sees Locke as a threat to his power and position why does he even bother to let john join them is it just to manipulate and embarrass him i think some things mike are even out of a leader's control to a certain extent well and we'll you know? also look at what ben just had Locke do ben feels like he has Locke on the ropes i don't think ben finds Locke nearly as threatening at the end of the man from Tallahassee as he does in the beginning. Uh, and so I, I think well, there's 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 that. But I also think uh, like the if the people are as excited about John Locke as they seem to be like getting rid of John Locke is not just as easy as snapping your fingers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true as well, that like, you know, getting rid of Locke could have the people questioning him and Ben. Ben's main motivation, I mean, not main motivation, but definitely one of them is to like keep the people happy or at least under the guise of Ben as this benefactor leader with an iron fist. And so, yeah, I do wonder if getting rid of Locke, getting him off the table would raise maybe too many questions that might get people suspicious of Ben. This is from Daniel Brennan. Do you guys like the decision to keep Locke off screen for several weeks to set up the brig and the man behind the curtain? I will vote yes. It's so interesting because, like you said, we're going to get an immediate follow-up to Locke next week. But then there's going to be a little bit of a disappearance for Locke again until the end. So it's almost like I can't necessarily answer do I like this gap and more so, you know, maybe I'll put a pin in this and address it in our Season 3 feedback show of what we feel about the use and particular timing of someone like John Locke, because there, his appearances in season three and real prominence are sort of spotty. And I think in comparison to seasons one and two, it's a definitive choice. And it also compared to his roles in seasons four and five, or again, he was going to play a major role. It definitely is an outlier. Yeah. Um, I like it though. I think, I think like uh, a lot of the power of this doesn't, uh, doesn't occur without sort of the mysterious aspect. Yeah. Of and Locke. I also think that, you know, this is an instance where like keeping Locke at a remove, I think, is more successful even on the rewatch than it is with. with and Jack. I also feel like, in comparison to things like uh, expose or the other forty-eight days or maternity leave, I am fine with them not necessarily addressing like things that connected back to the main island, with the exception of the tape recorder, because it also shows that again the others are off on their own mission and how much of a 
weird cultish mysterious group they are that even with all this stuff with Naomi and Desmond's flashes and everything going on with Juliet they're off doing their own thing that does not necessarily cross paths with 815 until Locke literally does Mike let's do the 23 points uh let's get into the points and let's just you know the easy one out of the way all the LVP points are going to Tony Cooper from both me and from you so that's five points to Anthony yeah, and, Cooper and, and, and I think and I mean I, I will well I guess we'll see with the comatose Cooper in season six but this might be a wrap for him in terms of points yeah we'll see but if it is then he goes out with an astonishing negative 18 points wow. uh, Anthony Cooper uh so he is our anchor at the moment closest to him is Pickett by uh with negative 10 um i don't i don't think anyone is going to come even close to rivaling anthony no. cooper with uh with with the no, LVP. he, he is in hell right here now before the end of season three i think he's got a yeah i think he is he is the bot the basement level right now he is in hell he's in a hell. Little, little hot but you enjoy. wanted to go to hell you want to go to hell here yeah, you enjoy, go enjoy your uh your lovely sweat lodge here so let's let's go to the mvps because this is really interesting so i'm gonna my first point here to Locke. I know that he does not have as much of a literal direct hand uh, in this episode as someone like Sawyer, but doesn't he? You know, Locke, Locke ultimately succeeds in his goal, and like you said, even though uh, what looms afterwards is going to be quite larger, he ends up succeeding in this goal. You know, I think he's going to reap the benefits more next episode, so maybe this is a little bit of, of you know, going into the man behind the curtain as well, but Locke is able to finally do this. Not anymore. So I'm, I'm going to give him an, an MVP point here. Uh, totally fair. I'm giving a point to Sawyer, even, uh, you know, if he's succumbing to, you know, if he's feeding the beast, um, I think he is faced with some really difficult stuff here. I feel real. I feel, I feel really horrible for him in this episode. Uh, I, I think Josh Holloway delivers, uh, an exceptional performance in this episode. Yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, it's by far the deepest we have seen him Honestly, since the original Confidence Man episode, have we have we and Josh Holloway is incredible and he brings what he what he has to uh, in terms of the character of Sawyer. But I do not think we have seen him give as much of a nuanced and frankly beautiful performance since we first found out about the OG Sawyer. You know, it's it's hard. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Uh, is there anything that really nothing really rivals? Yeah, this yeah I mean, anyway. Outlaws is is a good one too because we have sort of the duality of him with Duckett and like him tearing up as he does it versus the smoothness yet conflictedness of of the I Never game. But again, when it comes to like plumbing the depths of this character, I, I think it is tough to things like you know Sawyer just saying he deserves to get tortured or him watching Kate read the letter back to him. It, it, I think about uh, him nearly dying in I Do, Close Your Eyes, Freckles, you know, all of that I think is really good. Yeah. Um, but just nothing rivals no. this. This is just, this is just uh, you know, some series best acting for anybody on the show, let alone Josh. All right, Holloway. I'm going to give a point to Richard Alpert here, because if we're talking in the Lockean terms about him sort of getting people to succeed on his goal, we talked about it before. Richard Alpert's going to be able to to get the ball rolling against Ben, and he, and he starts this very important relationship with Locke. He's the one that was sort of pulling the strings behind the guy pulling the strings here. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I got to give my second. I have, I have two MVP, uh, MVP points this week. I'm going to give my second one to Saeed. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw uh, one ca- on as well. Called, he fixes the radio. They called the right guy. They called the right guy. He fixed the phone. Uh, you know, Saeed is once again proving why he's our MVP leader so far. And to that point, he is uh, he is out in front with uh, three points over Hurley at the moment. 
Uh, and he's clocking in at a lost number. 23 MVP Ooh. points for Saeed Jarrett. Ooh, all right. And I'm, I do not think he will end the season on 23, though. I think he has an other's neck with his name all over it coming up a little while from now. We'll see. There's so many points to give out there that it might be hard. Um, let's rank this one. It's a very easy 4.2. I completely me. agree. This is... J- this is a this is a this is a, a score buster for me. If we were going to go, yeah, there. I mean, this, like, this is something this that, like you said, like is it a necessarily perfect episode of Lost? There, there are some things that aren't like exactly amazing, and I do think you could maybe like the the weakest part is arguably the sea story stuff back at the camp, but I don't think it's so flagrantly off the no. mark that that it would like bring it down to even a four point one. There's just so much incredible stuff going on every cylinder is firing from performances to directing to writing in this these big three characters or even incorporate like a ben and a richard alpert as well it's just such an incredibly important episode for not only these two characters but lost and uh it just made me feel something it made me feel something everything and i i have to make I have to make it a 4.2 because of that. And our audience, uh, our audience was maybe a little more across the board than both you and me. It's a 3.9 overall. It's actually a 4. It's a, oh, it's it's a, a 4. four. I just uh, checked the scores again. It's a 4 from the okay, audience. Okay, so, so, uh, so that's good. I think that's our highest audience score so far, because I believe Flashes Before Your Eyes was a 3.9. And we... I believe Flashes is a 4.1, unless it's oh, changed. Oh, really? Okay, maybe maybe I'm, I'm incorrect uh, then. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it's a 4.1 for uh, Maybe I, You know what? I went back in time and tried to change the audience score and then mm-hmm. realized that I yeah. couldn't. Uh, thank you, Eloise Hawking. But Flashes is still the top of the yeah. season, right? It's, it's still number one for the season. It's 4.16 with the 4.2s from you and me on the brig and the four from the audience. It's a 4.12 uh, for the brig. So it's the second best of the season so far. I think after revisiting both of them very recently... Um, I, I think in my official rankings, I have flashes higher. I think I'd put the brig. Past yeah, flashes, I think. Well, personally. I think again, the brig has a canonical payoff that flashes because it's so new doesn't have. So it's sort of like it's a little bit like apples and oranges and what their intentions are. But again, this this really brought me back to season one of Lost for so many reasons, and that payoff just really catapults that episode. Almost like the way Exodus will always be my favorite episode of the show is because there's so much payoff there from an entire storyline season's worth of storylines let me let me tell you something interesting you ready um the brig which is behind flashes before your eyes is ahead of every single episode of uh of of season two of lost i think uh except for maybe no, it's ahead of two yeah, for I was the road. Say, no, I know two uh, for the road. Uh, I think was not more of a mixed bag, but I do not think maybe had as high of a, a universal commendation. It's ahead of two for the road. Uh, I believe it is of season one, only behind the pilot, walkabout, and uh, I would I would guess yeah, because Exodus. Exodus is our is our number one. Yes. Exodus is our number one. It's followed by Flashes. No, Exodus is number one. It's followed by The Pilot. It's followed by Flashes Before Your Eyes. It's followed by Walkabout. The Brig is top five. Wow. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see how long it stays At the moment. At the moment. And so I think that that is what speaks so highly, not just of this stretch that we're getting into, um, but also this this very specific episode. Yeah. My feeling is in, in, in reexamining this one and thinking about it hand in hand with all of those episodes that I just listed, I know that I put Walkabout as the number one episode of Lost uh, for like that THR ranking. Yeah. And I still stand by it as like this, this really 
represents everything that's great about Lost. I think if you were to put a gun to my head right or now, a um, or a knife, because the gun wasn't loaded, um, I would, I would, uh, I've got nothing but hype for the man. Right uh, I'm the Briggs' biggest hype man at the moment. And the fact that it, even if it doesn't stay this way, and it won't stay this way, but the fact that right now it's top five. I love yeah. that. I think it is so deserved. I think this episode is exceptional. Um, and, you know, the first time in a long time, Mike, that we've gone nearly three hours on just a single episode. of Well, Lost. there might be a similar runtime next week, Josh, because we have the man behind the curtain. And here it is. Finally, the Benjamin Linus flashback episode. And this is, you know, I, I'm very intrigued to look at it for a number of reasons, because back in the day, I know when we were doing sort of like our, our episodic round robin stuff. The Man Behind the Curtain was in my top 10 episodes of Lost ever. Yep. Uh, this is an yep. episode that has always, even more than, than The Brig, has profoundly stuck with me and permanently made Benjamin Linus one of my favorite Lost characters, if not scripted characters, of all time. And I am so, so, so excited to get to it for so many reasons. You know, we have been wondering for so long, what is Ben's story? To the point that you brought up before, like, what's the other's deal? We get it a bit in this episode, and we find out how just truly demented Ben is, but with a heart. Uh, we get the first introduction of quote-unquote Jacob, and the cabin makes its appearance here, and it ends with John Locke shot on a pile of bodies. It's it's a yeah. very, it's a bananas episode, and it's a fantastic follow-up to this, when, like you said, we go from the triumph of John Locke walking back to Ben Lyons with his father's body strewn over his shoulder to John Locke possibly becoming a body himself amongst this pile of corpses. Yeah, I remember walking away from the man behind the curtain being like, holy shit! Like, just like in this huge, like in a totally different visceral way than this episode. Yeah, because um, again, this, this, is, w- this is more of a, for lack of a better term, a long con in terms of like a lot of fantastic payoff for characters. This is more yeah. so, again, going back to like that flashes before your eyes, that they just did something so cool. They did answer a question that we've been wondering for so long, but there's so much new information beautifully yes. presented that it's it's so yes. well done. Can't wait. We're in we're in uh we're in a really, really incredible stretch. We are in the best stretch of loss yeah. right now. Um so uh if if a nearly three hour podcast about the fourth to last episode <laughs> of the season uh doesn't do that for you. Um, then uh, I don't know what to tell you. So get your feedback in for the man behind the curtain. We're going to drop that next week down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Make sure you're sending in your ratings uh, as well, your scores, your 4.2 stars for each episode. Uh, if you want to keep the conversation going with us, might I suggest the Post Show Recaps Patreon program where we've got our Discord at the $10 level uh, where we have uh, very uh, lively discussions about uh, not just Lost, but about so many other things uh, as we are recording this, a very lively Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe Lot, discussion Lots of very today. exciting news. It's, it's good to be a pop culture fan. Like I got to watch some new marketing stuff come out that gives out very, very exciting rumors, and then come on you and talk about a very episode of uh, exciting episode of Lost. Um, Mike, is there anything else you'd like to get off your chest about the Poster Recaps patron Discord? Uh, <laughs> no, I will, I will just say if you want to find out that inside joke, it's waiting for you. <laughs> I've been waiting a week to, to drop oh, well, that Well, I will you. not finish uh, until everyone goes onto the Patreon and checks out the circumstances behind uh, that reference. 
All right. Sounds good. Um, Mike, what else do you have going on here? You filled in for me on Mando with Kevin Mahadeo this yeah, past week. Yeah, talking about another like simultaneously gut-wrenching yet exhilarating episode of television. Mando is really talking about another strong stretch of episodes. It is firing on all cylinders. So it was sad to be without you and Latanya, but I got to pinch hit with Kevin. Always really enjoy Kevin and I getting to like monologue for minutes on end about just how freaking fantastic the Mandalorian is right now. Also, I called this in my all-star week because I also, of course, I'm covering Star Trek with the great Jessica Lee. We are going into our big two-part episode. We're in the first like mid-season two-part episodes of Star Trek Discovery yet. Uh, I have watched it already. All I will say, actually, it's, it's already out by the time this is coming out. All I will say is it actually has a lot in common with Flashes Before Your Eyes in many ways. Cool. So for, for fans of Lost, I think you'll get the reference when you watch this episode of Star Trek Discovery. And of course, Jessica and I will be back together recapping it all this weekend. Sounds fun. All right. And we've got tons of other stuff happening here, both on the main feed as well as the patron feed, whether it's Post Show Recaps Theater talking about that thing you do. Um, community building is happening yeah, still on Post Show Recaps. Uh, Rob Saturnino and Gordon Holmes talking about remedial chaos theory. Yet another thing that links to sort of flashes before your eyes. And another episode that's considered top shelf. Uh, so just like a lot of great stuff happening uh, in the podcast world right now. Really excited about everything that is going on. Super pumped to get back into some Lost next week with the man behind the curtain. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.